0: Liftoff, we have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO consciousness podcast thank you for taking time from your life to be here okay i'm going to do a little bit of an intro usually longer longer than i usually do because this is kind of a special broadcast for me and i tried to uh, i've got your books in the background there but i um i put them on and they don't completely fit the screen and then i played with it for an hour and then said uh I've got a 14 year old kid, so I gave up. But it's better than nothing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they look good.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you ready? Let's go.
1: All right. Let's do it.
0: Okay. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are in the world today. This is Grant Cameron, and I have a super special guest that I've been longing to interview for quite a while. Uh, As a little bit of an intro, I've always seen the UFO uh, situation as a chess game. It's basically, to me, when I had my sightings in 1975, the second night I saw it, um, it was just doing nothing. It was just there. And I wondered, what the heck is going on here? Um, I figured I was just a a guy from the middle of Canada, didn't really know, um, have background. And I I I figured somebody's got to know what's going on. So I've always been watching this game like a chessboard. And I've always tried to figure out um, what's important to watch, what's not important to watch. And my only intention is to try to figure this thing out. In 2012, I had, is, as people know, I had a, a download experience watching Colin Andrews lecture. Um, and at that point, I suddenly realized that you could actually get material from the field. This is what I call it, the field. It, it, it's everything, everything isn't just rational, analytical thought that you can actually at some point pop into the field, get the material and bring it back, because that's what happened to me. And I was so blown away, I started to look on the internet and I suddenly, the first thing that I came across was I realized that Paul McCartney from the Beatles had gotten the song yesterday in a dream. And it came to him, he got up on on a piano and he played this thing and he ran around for a month and talked to people, trying to get people to say, did you hear this song? He thought somebody had played this song, he was sure that this was, was not his creation. And then I realized that a lot of people and I wrote a book called "Inspired: the Paranormal World of Creativity, where I look at all sorts of inventions and all sorts of um, different uh, people, uh, Nobel Prizes and stuff like that, and realized that a lot of people were pulling this stuff out of the field. And so instead of scientific beliefs, where you get a scientific belief and then you look for proof to to back up what you do, I've spent the vast majority of the time since 2012 trying to find people who have been in the field rather than sitting there and trying to figure it out for yourself or guess at it or whatever there's people who have answers that people on the outside don't have and that's why I've always been so interested in experiencers because it's quite evident to me that you can look at all the lights in the sky you want and count them and and get their colors and their shapes and their sizes how fast they're moving but it's not until you actually talk to an experiencer, someone who's actually interacted with the intelligence behind the phenomena that we're ever going to figure out how this thing works. And I've pushed this for years and years and years. And I'll tell people, you've got to listen to the experiencers. You've got to listen. These people know stuff that that they're, being, they're talking to the intelligence. They know what's going on. And then I'll do the whole spiel. And then the person will look at me and say, so when do you think uh, the government's going to disclose? And it's like... Oh my goodness, it's like, God save the queen. I mean, the ship's taking on water. It's it's one of these things that I've had a hard time that we've got to get over this, this idea that this is anecdotal. These people, experiencers, have extremely important material that will help us solve the UFO situation. So as I said, I spend most of my time um, looking at people. And tonight I have Deborah Jordan Cobble on, who is one of the key experiencers, I think, in the whole um, situation of what's actually going on. Uh, And she was the um, subject of the book Intruders by Bud Hopkins, which was one of the most famous UFO books ever written. She just came out with a a new book on her own, and she actually had two books. The other one I read, it's around here somewhere. Um, Abducted was the other book that she uh, Mm -hmm. and her sister wrote. And now uh, Deborah has come out with her own book called Extraordinary Contact. And she's here and I'm going to ask her questions because this is what it's about. It's about finding people who have the answers. And I think um, I've spent a lot of time in the last week listening to almost everything I could find that that, uh, Deborah has talked about in lectures and interviews. And she has tremendous amount of material. I would uh, encourage everybody to read Extraordinary Contact or listen to uh, Deborah's lectures. Uh, She has some stuff that uh, will help us solve this mystery. Now, her experience occurred in 1983, and so whenever I sort of interview uh, people, I always um, look at the major experiences and I look at, uh, did the um, experience happen on an event that had to do with nuclear weapons? And I would say that the vast majority of major UFO incidents have some sort of nuclear connection. There's something happening somewhere in the world that has to do with nuclear. So Deb's experience, her first experience we'll talk about was uh, June the 30th, 1983. And um, on June the 30th, 1983, there was actually two nuclear events that took place. Uh, one was um, at the Elms Bomb a, a, um, Nuclear Power Plant in Argentina, uh, where there was a level four accident, uh, nuclear loss of coolant. Uh, and um, we don't really know because that was under a military um, uh, dictatorship at the time, um, and so we don't really know what happened after that. And the second one was a nuclear event that happened at Philipsburg in Germany, where there was a nuclear uh, leakage and iodine-131 was was put into the atmosphere. So um, you have these bizarre little connections. And the other weird connection, and then I'll I'll bring in uh, Deb to uh, talk a little bit. Uh, 19, um, or no, Deb has the same birthday as my son, uh, Chad, my only son, February 17th. So I found that was kind of weird. And then uh, I'll bring in Deb. And Deb, do you think, can you maybe guess the year my son was born?
1: 1959?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, Uh, a major event in your life. 83. <laughs> 83. My son was born February seventeenth, nineteen eighty-three. So it's, I was going to say right? you're
1: not old enough to be
0: <laughs>
1: my my parents. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that's so when I was born, fifty-nine.
0: Fifty-nine. Yeah, I was fifty-four. So I'm a little bit a uh, little bit older and um, maybe not as smart. And and that's one of the things I had sort of thought. And I'll maybe get into this that um, there's this idea. You probably know there's this idea that we may have agreed to this before we came into the world. And um, I uh, came in a little bit before you, but we all sort of came in about the same time. We all started to play the game. Um, My first experience was 1975. Uh, Bud uh, joined the circus in 1975. Uh, Travis Walton was abducted late in 1975. And I think you had the experience uh, with the pregnancy in 1977. So you slept in a little bit, but I think we all sort of came in on this, on this little uh, uh, game and, do you, do you, that would be my first question. Do you think that there is this, this idea of soul contract, that, that we've, we've come here to do something and that this is a lot less random than people think it is? Because you, you know, you go back to 75. Most people thought in 75 that this was random. I mean, if you saw a UFO, you just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time. And we now know that's, that's crazy. I mean, with 75, if you had said, like you, that you'd seen two UFOs or you'd had two events, even the people in the ufo community wouldn't talk to you because you're totally crazy i mean you don't have two events you're lucky if you have one
1: Oh, mm-hmm. well, the people in the <laughs> MUFON didn't want to have anything to do with us you know uh when i met bud uh he reached out to them and uh as soon as they you know we, which we had the trace landing you know we had the the mark in the yard and all that but when they heard about the um, you know, the other kind of contact, they were, uh, Walt Andrus was not a fan. He didn't really want to get in, involved with anybody that had claimed to have seen an alien. And um, it, the only, we we did actually talk to Dr. Hynek, because, you know, we were in Indianapolis. So we were not too far away from the Center for UFO Studies in Illinois. And we had, Bud had given me his phone number. It was the emergency. 24 hour ufo hotline and mom and i it was after june 30th 83 it was in 84 and we had this huge um boomerang shaped thing come over the house mom and i both were standing outside on the porch right under it and uh uh when we got our wits about us again we i called that number and dr heineck answered it was like 11 o'clock at night or some crazy hour and um So, uh, you know, we did drawings for him and we talked to him on the phone and I, my mother, I don't know if it was that night or if it was another phone call, but my, I remember my mom saying that Dr. Heineck even said to her, you know, he was a skeptic in when he first started looking into UFO cases, but uh, he said that he felt like he was almost getting the feeling that not everybody was able to see these things because uh, we were shocked. That we lived in Indianapolis. This is where this all happened in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's a big city, like number 11 in the country, millions of people. Our, the house where this happened was 15 minutes from downtown Indy. So when this giant thing that filled up the whole sky was over our house, at very low, just above the treetops, wouldn't you think that you know a whole lot of people would have seen it and reported it? So we were looking you know, on TV news and listening to the radio and then, you know, looking, checking through the newspapers the following day. And we couldn't believe that nobody had reported anything. And it was like, what is going on here? And then Dr. Heineck had come up with that. So,
0: yeah, that was I one think- of the questions I was going to ask you about the triangle. And that was like my, my second experience. My first one, I just felt sort of fall off the edge of the earth when I saw it the first time. But two nights later we went out and that's when it came at me. So it flew right at me. And there was a bunch of kids and people were swearing and jumping up and down. And the guy had a camera and he's unloading this camera as this thing was coming at us. And then it made this sort of turn. It, it moved off into the northeast. And then I looked at it and it was like 40 years later. I'm thinking to myself, why did it not just go from the west into the northeast? Why did it come at me, make the turn and then go to the northeast? And, and it was the because that was the idea I had. And it led me to this the question about your triangle is what was it what was it doing? Like well, mine wasn't doing anything. So when the triangle, like you said, this triangle went correct, and then it came back again and came over you. So it was like like what was the triangle doing? It was well, it as
1: it drifted over the house. I first spotted it when I was coming home on, yeah. on the way home from a, a late night run for some nail polish remover, some ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I just operated like that. Yeah. <laughs> and so Uh, I saw the lights in the sky coming at my direction. And my first instinct was, oh, it's from Indianapolis internet, you know, from the big airport and it's just the headlights on the plane or a big headlight, but it did some weird stuff. And I began to, as it got closer to me, it looked like it was coming towards mom and dad's house. I got excited. So I hurried up, pulled in the driveway, ran and hollered at my mom to come out on the porch. This thing was about to go over the house and you had to see it because it was amazing and huge. And, that's when it, it came directly over us. We were standing on the porch looking up and it like just, you could, there was like a, a real low hum, that, I mean, kind you can more like feel than hear almost, but it wasn't very loud. And it was, it drew, it kind of glided over the house and it just kind of, went over us. My remember looking at my mom and she was standing there with her mouth just hanging open and she was saying, Oh my God, that's so beautiful. And I'm thinking to myself, woman, you are out of your mind. I was freaking out. So I as it went over the house, I ran through the house to the back out the back door. As I got out the back door, I could see it coming, you know, clearing over the roof. I watched it go out east of the house a little bit. And then I watched it, it was kind of like a little bit East and um, north of the house at that point, where it was moving, because it kind of went at a slight angle, and then it just twisted. Uh, instead of making a banking turn like a you'd think a big giant jet would, it just kind of twisted on its axis and started coming back the, the other way. It was not coming directly at me though; like yours, it was a little more to the yeah. north of me, but it was going right back towards downtown Indianapolis. And I'm watching it, and that's when, and I knew it was like it should have been right over uh, 465, which yeah. is the loop around the city, Shadeland Avenue, um, the Ford Motor Plant. That it should have been right about all over those areas. Like hundreds of people at least would see this thing. Nothing. Uh-huh.
0: You, you so I don't it, know what
1: the whole point of it was. I don't. I don't know what the whole point of it was.
0: Did do you think that it knew that you were you were watching it because it lit up or something over top of you? It got
1: light? as soon as it got. Yes. It the when I, I could only see the the white lights in the front, and then uh, it. I can't remember if it was it was one light and turned into two or two lights that turned into one. It did something that an airplane headlight can't do. Yeah. That was my cue. But when it got directly over us, we were standing on the porch. And that's when my mom said, oh, my God, that's beautiful. Because just as it got right above us, the bottom lit up like a Christmas tree. You could almost feel it kind of go, you know, when it lit up. Yeah. It, and I remember, I remember some small balls of light. And like I said, it was kind of boomerang shaped, you know, more than triangular. I could, I thought I could see like a small black box part on the back that was not lit before the bottom lit up mom did not see that all she saw was the boomerang shaped part but you know her eyes were 25 or 30 years older than mine so and it was dark out but um once the lights lit up it there were little dots of white light under it circles of white light and then bands like fluorescent tubes of light on it and then there was a white light in the middle with the red light in the middle of that on the underside where the two wings like, you know, met there and it just lit up. And, and that's when my mom said, oh, my God, that's beautiful. And that's when I said, oh, hell no, <laughs> I'm not doing this. No. And that's when it went over the house in my mind. I, and I do this all the time. I don't w- I didn't want to see it. But I didn't want to not see it because I needed to know where it was <laughs> yeah. you know, in relationship to me. I don't know why. I, I, you know, I'm not like that now, but I was then. I was 23 years old and I was scared out of my wits. Not, I didn't understand w- what was going on, what was happening to me, why it was happening to me. Some I don't sometimes I still don't know whether I fully understand or not, but I feel more comfortable with it being a part of me now. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's funny because we don't have lights on our planes and the, the thing lights up right above you. It's like you you actually talked to Bud about his, his sighting, his 63 or 64 sighting. And mm. it's like the same thing, what was it doing? It was, it was doing nothing, it was just sitting above the car and he's riveted to this thing with these people from Britain or whoever was with him. And uh, then he goes back the next day and he retraces the route. How long did it take? How long was it there? And he sort of drag him down the rabbit hole. And when you start looking at Bud's life, I don't know if you know these stories. Do you know Bud was involved in War of the Worlds? No. The broadcast? He was a seven-year-old boy. Uh, War of the Worlds. He lived in New Jersey. The story was centered in New Jersey. And his parents had War of the Worlds on. And they were freaking out. His mother was really freaking out. Bud was looking out the window, a seven-year-old kid, and he's looking out to see if they're coming. And this is where I always thought where the fear came from, from Bud about the, the fear of this invasion thing. And, and the neighbor came with his guns and he said, come on, we're going up to the hill. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to defend, defend ourselves. And Bud's father said, no, no, he wouldn't go. But that's that when you see that story, then you link that story together and then you link the story of how Bud got involved in 75. So I got involved in May and Bud came in a little bit after a couple of months after. And that was the guy, you know, the story about the guy with the with the liquor store that Bud Bud was talking. And and here's this story of 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 him telling Bud there's this this uh, these these beings get out nine to 11 beings and they got bags and they start gathering soil. And it's like, what kind of super story is this? I mean, they're, they're, they've come across the galaxy and they've got 11 bags of soil and then they go back in and they take off. And that's what Bud got involved with this, the, the apartment block, which was called the Stonehenge. Uh, apartment block where he suddenly down he has now down the rabbit hole and suddenly he couldn't get out i mean he, then he was very interested and it's almost like they do these events to sort of keep you interested you you can't let it go they they, they it makes no sense or whatever but but it, it it just something you can't let go of
1: i always you know i i have a very vivid memory of sitting in his studio uh, Might have been the first time I went to New York or could have been the second time, but he was showing me boxes upon boxes of letters that people had written to him from missing time, reading missing time. And um, I said to him, why was I said, my my letter was in this box. Why? Why was my letter the one that you decided to answer? why was my story the one you decided to investigate you know and then that at that point they were he was first starting to talk about maybe writing intruders he said kid i don't know that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question and i said you suppose it could be um destiny and he goes i don't know he wasn't a big believer in stuff yeah, like yeah. that but he um uh, i asked him i said have you ever seen aliens have or have you maybe been abducted and he's like oh no. <laughs> no 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 no!" and i'm like are you sure because you're really into it i mean you are really i mean because he when he investigated our case he was so thorough i mean it took three years before he even started writing on intruders you know and it we he did all kinds of things i mean he came out to the house multiple times interviewed neighbors co-workers friends you know, he would go knocking on doors and my mom was probably like, oh my God, he's going to tell the neighbor. But, but, you know, I mean, he was just so thorough and everything. And I'm like, there has to be a reason why somebody is so driven to something like you are with this. There, there has to be a reason. And I said, are you sure you've never been? And he goes, I'm sure
0: then, <laughs> I saw did,
1: one one time and that's it. <laughs> and then he did the paintings. He did the paintings, the the guardians. Yeah. Oh, I have I have one, he gave me a a collage, the cutouts one that he did about that big that I, and it survived the tornado, thank God. And then I have like a lithograph of a drawing of another guardian that his um, ex-wife, Carol gave me. And, uh, but yeah, the guardians were just amazing and all those big circle things it just i don't know it just made me feel like there maybe was something more with him than yeah. than uh, i ever was gonna know
0: <laughs> like later on i want to get into a ports but let's go to another thing that fit with bud which was kind of a weird thing is the day remember you sent him a 14 page letter yep. uh, expressing this stuff and your mother had reticence about mailing it so mm-hmm. what happens the day bud phones what happens in your house
1: well, I had gone out um, with friends earlier that night and um, when I, I remember coming back in and my mom used to have, she used to fall asleep on the couch all the time. She'd fall asleep on the couch watching TV and uh, they had this big giant, okay. They had the furniture that everybody sees on the internet from the eighties, that brown flower stuff. Okay. <laughs> and they had this the coffee table and the end tables, the coffee table was so big and heavy. It literally took two people to move it. So whenever mom wanted to move the furniture around the living room, she could not do it without help. And um, I, I'm fu- I know the coffee table moved while she was there, but she did not move it. And we knew that it had moved that night because the, uh, they had like that funky orange shag carpet stuff. Yeah. And it, it made a dent, the coffee table made a big dent in the, the carpeting. So when it was moved, you could see where the coffee table had been. And, and it's like, I'm like, why, why did you move this table? You know, and, and she hadn't moved it. And she said to me, that guy who wrote that book that you uh, wrote, that you had me mail that letter to, he called while you were gone. And I, hmm, what? And I froze in my tracks and I, my heart has started to race. And she said, his phone number's over there. You know, you can call him back. And he said, you could call back late. I told him, I didn't know what time you'd be back. And I was thinking in my head, do I want to do this? Do I want to do this? Do I really want to do this? And so, and I, and I do remember my heart pounding, racing. I could feel it beating in my throat and my hand shaking as I dialed the phone number. And then he answered and that was it. Off we were to the races,
0: so to speak. Ooh to probably one of the most famous stories so let's go to the the july the june 30th the one that that caused you to write the letter that sort of when you went you had some experiences before but that's when sort of like they wake you up it's sort of like there's little clues but then it's like okay wake up time here we go so let's go through that night and there's a couple times i want to stop you there's a couple of things that happened in that night i want to question about but tell the tell the story of what happened on the 30th
1: okay you no, know, I, you know, I was living there at the house with mom and my two kids and my dad, uh, cause I was recently divorced and my kids were little at the yeah. time. And I was getting ready to go cut patterns for a friend of mine who was a seamstress that made costumes. So I, we had a head dinner and I was at the k- kitchen sink, washing my hands. And I was kind of looking out the window and I ha- happened to notice that They they had a built-in swimming pool, Esther Williams, you know, underground cement pond kind of swimming pool. And it had a pump house next to it where the pump was. And it was probably about roughly the size of a, like an aluminum mini barn that you can buy in at the hardware store. You know, one of those about that size wasn't that big. Anyway, I I noticed the door was open, ajar, and there was a light on in it. And I thought, did I leave that light on? No, I didn't leave that light on. And I thought there was something weird about the light, but at that time, it didn't really register with me that in retrospect now, you know, I realized that the light was more of a, um, a fluorescent light instead of an incandescent light. So the color was a little different. So it was a white, a brighter. And I thought that's weird. And I pointed it out to mom and she wasn't concerned. And so, um, I got in my car a little while, a few minutes later, one, well, maybe five minutes the house was a sandstone tri-level and it had a driveway. When you come up the front, one section of the driveway went down to the garage and the other section of the driveway went uh down the side of the house along the side of the swimming pool to a turnaround that was in front of dad's workshop back there where he had uh he restored Indian motorcycles and he did radio control, he made models and stuff. So it was a pretty it, it was as big as a, probably a 1500 square foot house back wow. there, his workshop. It was pretty cool. Anyway, um, I decided I'd go down that side road and just have a peek before I left. Cause I was leaving daddy works second shift. So he wasn't home and I was leaving my kids with my mom. You know, I'm thinking burglars specifically the workshop in the back, but you know, um, so I thought, well, I'll do a little quick whip around the turnaround before I leave. And when I did, I noticed that the pedestrian door on the attached garage—the garage that was attached to the house—was open. And I knew that had been closed earlier because I'd put my dog in there. And uh, but instead of stopping, I just went ahead and went on to my friend's house. She lived one street over, so it took two minutes. And when I got there, I called mom and I told her what I'd seen, and she said, "Don't worry about it. I'll just lock the doors and when until your dad gets home." So I hung up the phone and as soon as I hung it up, she called right back and I picked, I answered the phone and I'm like, what's up? You know? And she says, I need you to come home right now. And she sounded scared, which was something my mom never did. I never heard her be scared before. And so it kind of panicked me a little bit. And I think it showed in my voice when I was talking to mom, because my girlfriend's husband was overhearing our conversation and he Yells over my shoulder, tell her to call the sheriff. That's what we pay him for or the police. And uh, she heard him and she said, no, I don't want anyone here but you. Now, it was a week later before she remembered why she called me back. She had seen a light around the bird feeder, a ball of light, a basketball size, you know.
0: But how she didn't remember. How far would she have been away from it? Can you can you tell me how far she would have been away from the ball of light?
1: Um, I'm kind of not that great with distance but maybe 25 because it was just outside the kitchen window so
0: pretty cool.
1: maybe okay. 25 feet maybe okay. something okay. like that so uh, anyway I came I came back home I told my friend look I got to go home and check it out and you know I'll let you know what's going on so I went back home and I pulled up the side of that house there and went to the patio room because mom was there and I walked in And I grabbed my dad's shotgun, which mom says, you know, that's not loaded, right? And I said, of course, I know I'm the one that asked him not to keep it loaded while we're here. But whoever I find out there isn't going to know that it's not loaded until I'm close enough to hit him with it. So, you know, I grabbed it and I went out there and that was out of character for me at that point in my life. I was not brave like that. I would do that now, but back then, no, no. Um, But anyway, so I went out looking around. I checked out the pump house, um, didn't see anything. The light was gone off. Um, I walked back behind the swimming pool and I did find my dog who I knew had been in the garage. She was under dad's ladder truck, but she would not come out. Everything looked secure. The doors looked secure at the shop. So I went to the back. I headed towards the garage, open garage door that was attached to the house. And I thought, if there's anybody out here, this is where they are. So I walk in and flip the light on, and there's no one in there. But I do see his mattresses leaned up against the wall on one side, and I think, okay, well, someone could hide behind that. So I'm like Elmer Fudd, going around this mattress with this unloaded shotgun, Mm -hmm. spewing profanities like a sailor. And um, all of a sudden, I feel hot. I all suddenly, I felt like I had a hot flash and I felt like my skin was hot, like I was burning. And I thought, oh, I got to get out of here right now. And I turned to run towards that open pedestrian door. And as soon as I got to the open doorway, something hit me right here, like, like my chest belly area. Yeah. And it was like this most intense ball of light. And I could feel it spread through me. And it was so bright that I could see it through my eyes. I know my eyelids were closed, but I could still see it. It was that bright and it hurt my eyes. And I could feel it slowly spread through my legs and my arms around my head. And I I felt like I was vibrating. It was beyond shaking, like vibrating to the point where I was like vibrating apart. It it almost felt like I could almost sense every individual uh, molecule that made me up. And then I don't know how long it lasted. My common, my mind says I couldn't have tolerated that for long, but I had no sense of how long that lasted. And then when it stopped, I was outside the door on the cement patio. Like I couldn't move. Um, I couldn't scream. I could move my eyes, but I couldn't see uh The, my vision had like splotches in it, like a flash bulbs, you know, splotchy splotchiness. And I felt somebody pulling on my shoulder, this shoulder, my right shoulder from behind me. I felt something in my ear that felt like it, a hot, uh, like knitting needle or something in my ear. Uh,
0: it was in the right ear, my right, right ear. ear. Okay. And
1: it's weird. Like I've had COVID and that ear keeps getting these phantom pains in it now since I had COVID, but um, anyways, that's the ear And it, uh, so anyway, I, I heard the voice, I didn't see anybody, but I heard a voice say, it's unfortunate that you felt this pain. And I'm thinking, I, I, I see movement in front of me. And I think I see kids in mom's yard, mom, dad's backyard, the six of them. And they're coming from all different areas of the backyard and they're kind of lining up off to my left, up by the, uh, where the pool and the driveway meet, the gate to the pool and the driveway meet up in that area, and they're kind of lining up there, and I'm thinking to myself, why are all these kids in in my mom's backyard? This isn't making any sense, and they lined up, and they kind of slid towards me. They didn't walk, and they weren't really, I don't know, it was more like a glide down across the yard, and they weren't coming at me But they were coming toward my direction uh, across the backyard and as i watched them that's when i saw that thing in the yard again i can't i can't move i can't run i can't scream but i can see this thing we call it a craft because i don't know what else to call it but common sense dictates that six of anybody small i don't or anybody can't fit in this thing and fly any distance from somewhere because it was much it wasn't much bigger than the pump house the swimming pool like the, you know the mini barn and uh it was egg-shaped okay can i add something here at this point
0: uh-huh. I, I don't know if, uh, how much literature you've read for with experiences but chris Bletso uh do you, are you familiar who chris betzel is he, re-
1: i know the name mm-hmm.
0: yeah okay uh so he had a object um egg-shaped um, he went in it, he flew the craft, and so i'm I'm describing I'm getting him to describe what this what what happens. And he said, as soon as I went inside the craft, it was at least ten times bigger inside the craft than it was outside the craft. If you follow uh, Ter- Terry Lovelace, who
1: yeah a lawyer,
0: uh, he mm-hmm. said it, it was a size of a football stadium inside the the craft. in the regular side craft. When it went inside, it was the size of a football stadium. And well, then I had a friend who's an experiencer out of Utah. Who the being took him to the spirit world? He's with his dead mother in the spirit world, and he gets taken to a building that he said looked like a temple in Nephi, uh, Utah. And he said, and she took me into this this building, and she said, when you die, you're going to get a room in this building. And he said, I walked in the building. He said, and it was at least ten times the size inside as outside. And I said, well, that's what the UFO people say as well. And so it's this idea that you the in this world that they live in, it's it's possible. Even Hal putoff said. Uh, I, that was the thing that puzzled him. He said, i w I'd like to know how the craft can be bigger on the inside than is on the outside. So you see it and, but it still could be like the size of a football stadium inside. Just, Mm -hmm. just, I don't know if you read this stuff, but because I remember Mm -hmm. you, you keep, you're always talking about this object thing and you'll, you'll hear this thing that, you know, there's a being inside an orb. That's only a foot across or something like that. And it's this idea that time and space seem to fall apart once you get into their world and go through the door.
1: Exactly. I know. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's not, it's what this world around us isn't what we think it is. I'm just saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So go ahead, keep going.
1: So anyway, yeah. So um I'm getting blasted by that light. Then I'm outside the doorway and I feel the burning in my ear and the pulling on my shoulder. Then I I I saw the the thing is egg-shaped, but in front of it, maybe 20 feet or so, maybe 20 or 20. 20 feet, 25 feet in front of me is a ball of light, the size of a basketball, but it's very soft and it doesn't appear to be attached to anything. I'm not sure. I can't see clear, you know, real good, but I know that it goes, it's about as tall off the ground as I am and I'm five foot three and it went down really slow and then it came back up and then stopped where it started. And I got the distinct impression that it was somehow looking at me or something, or scanning me, or something. I don't know why. I thought it was looking at me. Um, and then, you know, trigger seeing the, what I thought were kids in the yard, I guess, triggered me, like, oh, my God, my kids, they're in this house. And I freak out a little bit, and I, uh, you know, oh, are they safe? And immediately, the voice says, your children are fine, you know, that I shouldn't worry about them. Then the next thing I remember is hearing my name. the the clincher is that I didn't learn it till later, but it was actually my mom who had stuck her head out the kitchen door and called my name. And it was like, somebody snapped their fingers. As soon as I heard my name, boom, everything. I just remembered that, you know, I'm told you was gone, like wiped. And I don't know if the light wiped my mind or the, you know, the ball of light was wiping my mind. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that as soon as I heard my name being called, all of that went away. I remember turning and I could walk. And I, I remember walking uh, across the patio and up the steps to the upper porch where the kitchen door was. And mom says, are, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, everything's cool. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to go. I don't want to cut patterns anymore. I want to swim. I just want to get wet. You know, I just felt like I wanted to go swimming and get in the pool. So I got hold of my friend. I'm like, Hey, how about let's do this instead? You know, it was almost a uh, 4th of July weekend. So it was uh warm up. The pool was open. We were swimming in the evenings on hot, on hotter days. And she's like, yeah, that'd be fine. So uh, her and her daughter came over and I can't remember whether I went over there and got them or if they came back, it's been 38 years, but I know they have ended up at my house. And I remember the three of us walking across the backyard to get to the swimming pool, and her daughter steps on something in the yard, and we thought she stepped on a bee or something because she said it burned, and then she said her foot was numb or tingled or it's, uh, and then her felt like her foot was getting numb, and then her going the numbness was going up her leg. So when we got to the pool, we looked it over and we didn't see anything and uh her mother was of the mind like well, you know cool pool water it'll make it feel better if it was if you stepped on a stinger and it fell out or something so Mm -hmm. so we're in the pool we're not in the pool very long maybe 10 minutes or so I, I can't remember exactly but I know that I bit the lights it was dark out now and the outside lights on I started noticing halos around them and it's like when you're a kid and you went swimming and you opened your eyes underwater a whole bunch, and then you kind of, your chlorine kind of messed them up. So that's what it seemed like to me, except I hadn't gotten my head under the water and gotten chlorine in my eyes, but the, but the lights all had like white halos around them and my eyes were burning and I felt nauseous and come to find out. So did they, they were both, they both felt nauseous too. They, their vision wasn't messed up, but they didn't feel good. So. At one point, my friend Deanna's like, "Hey, let's go to White Castle. Maybe we get something deep. We'll feel better." White Castles is like this twenty-four hour little square burger joint, Crystal Burgers or something like that too. Well, I don't. We didn't end up doing that. They ended up going home, and I ended up going to bed. When I woke up the next morning, my eyes were swelled up, shut, and hurt so bad. I was in so much pain that my mom took me to the emergency room, and we got there and I have no idea why, but an actual eye doctor was in the emergency room area, and I don't know why he would even be in there, but he was, because I and I remember them talking to my mother, um, saying, I can't, if you could take her across the street to my office, across the street, I have better, you know, equipment there, I can look at her better, and figure out what's going on, could you bring her over there, so mom took me over there, and his, nurses and whatnot worked me in right away and the first thing he asked me was have you looked into the ark of a welder's torch and i said no <laughs> and mind you i had not i didn't tell anybody about the light because at that point i hadn't remembered it i had trouble sleeping um i felt sick i didn't feel good but i didn't remember that so um i had he prescribed cream, uh, uh, some gooey tube of stuff and drops. And my eyes were never right after that. And as a side note, in my thirties, I was diagnosed with macular degeneration and cataracts. And by the time I hit 50, I had all brand new acrylic lenses installed in my eyes because mine were wiped.
0: But, um, <clears throat> let me just stick a point in there. Um, I, I, in 1975, we had the sightings for about a year the National Enquirer came up, uh, Bob Pratt, and he, I took him around. One of the cases we had there was two principles. One was, you've got, you've got um, Amish people, this is like the Hutterites, I don't know if you have Hutterites down there, but the one was a principle of a Hutterite colony so, this is a pretty conservative uh, woman. We have, uh, we have Amish and Mennonite. Yeah, here, so but, it's basically yeah. the same sort of thing. So, this is the principal of that school and another woman who's a principal of another school coming across uh, country. Won't get into the whole story, but uh, the one woman is driving. They're both freaking out. This thing's on top of the car. The one woman's looking out. She had eye problems. The other one was, if you look, uh, the Calaris, people always want to bring up the Calaris, the evil aliens of Calaris Brazil in 1977, where all these people are seeing these things and people are being zapped by these beams and stuff like that. And as soon as the military, as soon as they brought in the Air Force into the situation, everything stopped with the people and the Air Force was filming this. It was every night this thing would fly around the the Air Force people they weren't attacking them, but we're almost like posing for photographs. A lot of those guys had cataract problems. Uh, after that from from these lights and I've had my cataracts uh, I've had both eyes cataracts done but I'm not sure whether it's related because we had a lot of sightings back in 75 76 so that I think that's um, pretty pretty common that if you're looking into this you know this bright light whatever it is uh, it does from my experience does cause these eye problems people having these you know cataract and eye problems
1: I became extremely farsighted after that and I never wore glasses before that point But uh, I ended up having to wear glasses because I became extremely farsighted. So I don't know what that means, but I thought that was weird, too. Uh, But anyway, so uh, I go home. A couple of days pass. I'm feeling like I'm having a nervous breakdown. I feel anxiety and I don't. uh, And I had anxiety issues, you know, as a teenager and stuff growing up. But it, it was feeling out of control. And um, I was feeling very paranoid and anxious. Like I was waiting for some, I would sit and sit and watch my kids sleep at night, the little boys in the room and wait. Uh, I couldn't go to sleep until the sun came up. And then once the sun came up, I would just collapse. I was so exhausted. Thank God for my mom at that point. And there was a bathroom window. I, I always tell people their bathroom window, and the upstairs bathroom overlooked the mark in the yard. And I didn't even realize the mark was there when I was starting to feel weird about that window at night. I couldn't go in there at night because I felt like something was going to pull me out the window, which I knew was crazy. But, um, 4th of July weekend came and the whole family gathered at the mom and dad's house, as we always did to swim and, and have a cookout and stuff. And, uh, The kids all ran out the back kitchen. I remember them run out the back kitchen door to the swimming pool. And we're in there trying to prepare for the barbecue, cooking out, you know, the hot dogs and hamburgers. And my oldest nephew, Billy, runs back in and he says, Grandma, what's wrong with your yard? And um, mom's like, what are you talking about? And he said, come and look. So us adults, we went out in the backyard to check it out. And there was that mark in the yard. And it was crazy. It was like an eight foot diameter circle. And a part of it was kind of pushed up on one side, and there was a deep crack in it, and it had off the edge of of it um it looked like a forty nine foot swath uh that was exactly two feet wide all the way down and ended in this perfect arc it looked like a giant this is sounds it really looked, kind of look like a giant penis drawn in the yard like that and um the grass in it was like this grayish it did the grass was like a grayish beige. And it just like laid over, it just laid over. And the ground was rock, rock hard. And uh, first thing out of my mom's mouth, when we're all standing around here, looking at this, is, mom goes, oh, that's where our UFO landed the other day. And I, I looked at her at, cause it struck me weird. Everybody was giggling and, but it, not me. It struck me weird. And I turned and looked at her and I thought to myself, why would you say that? And then I looked back at the mark in the yard and it was like, bam everything started to come back first thing i remembered was the all i could see was two big black eyes like superimposed to over this mark in the yard you know between me and the mark and then as the minutes and hours and days passed more and more memory of that night and the, the being hit in the chest by the light and the kids in the yard and that egg-shaped thing in the backyard you know, all that started coming back. And I literally, I also started remembering things like back in when I first got married in, uh, 78, uh, those two gray guys came in my bedroom with that black box. You know, I, I, remembered that I remembered, you know, all kinds of little weird stuff. And, uh, I remembered missing time. I had picked that book up a few months before, <laughs> and <not> and <laughs> I had not been able to read it every time I tried to read it, I'd have a panic attack, and I'd have to put it down and I, and once or twice in a in a week, I literally got my mom to take me to the emergency room because I thought I was having a heart attack, and it was anxiety attack yeah. and Finally, my mom's like, "You got to take this book back to the library because we can't afford to keep paying this emergency room bill, you know." Dad had us on his insurance at, while we were living there. Thank, thank you, UAW, yeah, you know, because yeah. uh, yeah. he could have us till I was 26. So, yeah. but um, yeah, and it's bad when you go to the emergency room and the doctor and people at the front desk call you by your first name. They recognize right. you when you walk in. That's how it was getting. I was in such a mess. I, uh, but I remembered missing time was one of those memories that came back to me loud and clear and said there's an address in the back of this book and you should write this guy and tell him about today that this mark in the yard and what you remember so
0: can i ask you we, a speculative question that that people have raised i mean do you think they were forcing you to go for help or to try to figure this thing out
1: the who the grays or well my the,
0: whoever like with all this sort of uh, putting these ideas you know into your head like this the idea of the the book comes into your head, or the the idea of stress, because a, a lot of experiences. What we're saying to them is, you got to go and start dealing with it. That people will try to um, try to hide it, but until you go for therapy, until you go to unravel it, and so the the other the other question would be, did it did the the this anxiety start to fade once you started working with Bud Hopkins?
1: Yeah, it did. I mean, Bud saved my life. I mean, it's never completely gone away and I still have to manage it, but, um, yeah, he made all the difference. He, my life. There's nothing about my life today that would be remotely recognizable. Had I not met him or had that experience and met him. And I don't even know that I'd even be alive to be honest. I don't know, but, uh, it, and that's possible. I don't, I, I don't know why I remembered him and I wrote to him and reached out for help now. I'm the kind of person now, and I was sort of then when something scared me, um, I felt like uh, knowledge is power. So the more I could learn about whatever it was that was bothering me or bothering me, I felt less afraid. So, uh, and I was my biggest skeptic uh, because I did everything I could think of to figure out what could make this mark in the yard. Why would I remember you know, did I get hit by lightning was what was the weather like I, I researched the weather. And, you know, this was before I had a, this was before computers, cell phones, any of that stuff. You know, I go to the library and look stuff up. I uh, called the agricultural agents of the state of Indiana to say, hey, what would make a, a, a yard do this? What would make grass do this? You know, I could find a lot of people that could tell me what it wasn't, but I couldn't find anybody that could tell me what it was.
0: Because you may be and talking I, to some experiencers tonight. So the, would the message be, go for help, unravel this thing, that it, you will you will come out of it? Because people have the idea, yes. you know, this is horrible thing is happening, and how could they dare do this to you? And then when you talk to people, the longer they're in it, I think the pattern is, the more you're in it, the more you understand what happened, mm-hmm. the less fearful you become, and the more you see it more as a gift, rather than uh, you know, some exactly. bad thing Exactly.
1: I was, you know, at that point in my life, I was fearful. I had anxiety. And I, as I remembered more and more things, I had anger and resentment and everything else. Cause I didn't want this to happen. I didn't ask for this. I, I didn't go out looking for it. I wanted to be normal. I spent my entire life trying to be invisible, the queen of invisible. I wanted to just fit <laughs> in and be normal. It, you know, that's all I wanted. And when I met Bud, We didn't want to write it. We didn't, I didn't want to be a subject of a book about this. Who the hell wanted to be famous for this kind of stuff, especially 38 years ago. Uh, I'll pass. Thanks. I had kids to raise, but uh, you know, it took him a little bit to convince us to let him write the book. And that's, that's what the pseudonyms are about, you know, in the beginning, because we want, I wanted to protect my family. They were supporting me. I wanted to protect my children, but, but, and I could have stayed that way but I chose not to. I chose to be happy. I chose to find the lessons in everything that I went through. I chose. uh, I, I, I eventually learned that I had that power. Just like, just like Judy Garland in the wizard of Oz, when Glenda tells her you always had the power, you just didn't know it. I realized that my life was going to suck if I allowed myself to be consumed by paranoia and anxiety and anger and I didn't want that
0: because you've been out you've been asked a number of times the question if you had the chance to do it again would you go through it again
1: and yes I would and for the very reason I told you just a minute ago had I not there is nothing remotely about my life that would even be recognizable and I like the life I have I like the person that I have become I mean I'm not all that, but I, I'm always going to be a work in progress. So the day I check out, but I'm, I feel like I'm a good person and I've improved and, uh, I have a good life and I have friends and family. I had a good job for 15 years before I, and I was able to retire. And, uh, you know, my kids, my, if we hadn't, if I hadn't had that experience that led me to bud, then my son wouldn't have met his wife at Purdue. I wouldn't have my granddaughter, nothing about anything. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have met my late husband. I wouldn't live here where I live now. I wouldn't have the husband. I mean, you know, you see what I'm saying? So no, I wouldn't yeah. change anything. The only thing I would change would be, if, I mean, if I was able to know that then what I know now, I wouldn't be as afraid. I wouldn't let it has, have, because I, I know I had injury and I personally believe that it had something to do with that, but I yeah. don't think it was yeah. intentional. I don't believe that it was intentionally done. I've accidentally injured myself, you know. Um, and I know that I had the pregnancy that disappeared, you know, and I feel in my heart somewhere that 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 baby is well, she wouldn't be, she'd be like 45 years old now or something like that. But uh I think that she's somewhere that I'll see someday. But um
0: But you didn't see her one other time. You did see her a little bit later, correct? Or are you thinking
1: uh, I remember sitting in and there wasn't, it was not a dream. I wasn't asleep. Yeah. I was sitting in my uh, kitchen at, in the apartments that I lived in. And um, this was, I'm trying to think sometime, you know, it was after June, 30, 83. I'm thinking it was maybe like 88 or some somewhere around in there, you know? Um, so I'm sitting in my kitchen at my kitchen table, looking at my patio door in my apartment just I was smoking a cigarette and drinking a yeah. cup of coffee, and I happened to notice a, a kid standing in my, my all each of the apartment townhouses. I lived in the townhouse, the patio had a like a privacy fence around it. You know, they weren't the tightest slats. So you I could see somebody uh, well a kid standing at the door at the gate looking at me. And I could see her all the way down to the ground. I could see her white hair her blue eye really stood out at me grabbed me and then what else grabbed me was the fact that the kid was wearing all black and something in my head clicked and i thought who would dress their kid in all black even the shoes and then something else in me clicked in my head the eyes when i saw her eye the you know one eye looking at me through the slat i thought oh, is that her and as soon as I had that thought, I jumped up and when I did took off running and I went, I went, opened up the gate, ran out the patio door, opened up the gate. I looked back behind the apartments, you know, up and down. Didn't see anybody ran to the edge because I lived on the corner the apartment. So I was like right there where she could like yeah. turn a corner and run down the other side of the buildings. I was all over the place. Didn't that kid disappeared. And I always thought in my mind that it was her. I can't prove it, you know, but that's what I thought.
0: And you had, you had the bonding experience with, with with a lot of women report, you know, where you're bond with it. When it's a baby, you have to hold it. That you went through that as well with this child, right?
1: Yeah, it it was another child. uh, When I saw her for the first time, she, she was a little bigger. She wouldn't she didn't want to look at me and it hurt me when she was brought in to see me. She was between two of these grays. And as soon as she saw me, it it looked, she acted like the sight of me terrified her, which broke my heart. And she kind of tried to hide behind them. The bonding thing was with another one. This, this one was a male child who looked like he was half dead. I named him Andrew. Uh Um, in my head, that's what I called him. But he was very tiny, uh, and he had dark hair and dark eyes. But he looked like he was real frail and thin. Yeah. And that I was, my job was to hold him. Yeah. And that my holding him, some somebody was telling me somehow that my yeah. holding him would make him strong. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's so, that's pretty common. Can I can I flip to uh, another story that when when you told another story about about the guy on the bus and you go into the the bathroom, (laughs) you see the the woman and now you described it again with the blue eyes and the hair. Do you see any relationship between those? Because when I look at this kind of stuff, I see dream signs. Like when you tell the story about the bus, I would like, all I think is, wow, I should get my assistant Desta to regress you into a theta state to go through the bus experience to say, okay, really what's going on here? Cause it's these dream signs. Like when you're, when you have the bus story, it's like, he knows about it. He mentions extraterrestrials. The food tastes like cardboard. You see this figure in the mirror, all these weird things. And you're going like, what's really going on here? It's like, there's, mm-hmm. there's almost like symbolic. So did you ever see any relationship between that? When you went into the bathroom and saw that woman with the blue eyes and the hair to, to the girl that comes to the window or the woman that's looking at you
1: that po- That thought passed through my mind, I, you know, a few times over the years. Yeah. I don't know whether that was her, uh, the woman in, in the mirror, uh, okay. had white hair and really blue eyes and, um, looked he- mostly human. Uh, and I will, I'll never forget the color of blue that the, that the shirt on she had was this, this cobalt blue that was so intense and, beautiful it was just something I'd never seen before but it shocked it was shocking because I was I was expecting to see me in this in this mirror and I'm like Ooh. and I rub my eyes and you know look again and here I am and I thought and I remember thinking at the time oh my god I must be exhausted <laughs> <laughs> and I've had so many people who've heard that that you know of course they've said you think it was the the little the girl or uh do you think it was your your true self that you saw in the mirror you know and i'm like well, i don't that, know that's, about where, that that's
0: where you that's where you need the regression where you can actually go into a state where you're getting past the sort of the screen imaging and the dream signs. the old that's the concept of dream signs with lucid dreaming that when you you know like you have a dream and your dead mother's in the dream and stuff and you wake up and you go that was kind of weird my dead mother's in the dream and that's the whole thing is when you get the dream signs you realize Oh, this means something in order to become lucid, but you've got to get into a state where you can sort of ask what's really going on because that that story, and you said you might want to do a book on the on the on the bus thing, I think that's an actual book. I mean that is just the whole no bus
1: book. trip is an actual book. if i If I could go into and i mean i I remember a significant amount of details in that whole trip because it it was so impactful to me. Plus, I made you know notes and I wrote down journals. Part of the writing this book of uh, Extraordinary Contact was, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I, yeah. Sometimes I forget what I ate for dinner yesterday. Yeah. And I feel like there's so much in my head. I want out and on something that won't fade like my mind will. And I, so that my granddaughter can read it. My great, my great, great grandchildren yeah. can read it and right know me, know the story from my own mouth, know where they come from, who they are. You know what I mean?
0: Did, and, and, did you know Angela Joyner? Yes, the, I did. The, the reporter, yeah. So I remember I worked with Angela. Uh, we actually had a sighting together when I went to her house. We were going to work on a book on the presidents. But uh, anyway, I remember that she had a rough ride like you. I mean, she had this sort of situation where... Uh, she lost her job. She said, oh, we sort of separated." He said, no, Angela, when they put your computer in a Rolodex in a box and give it to you, they fired you. That's what happens in Canada. That's called being fired. And she yeah. never did get another job again. And so I always w- would say to her and I said when I lectured that it, exactly what you're saying is it may be a rough life. It may be, a, a, you know, some difficult times, but 500 years from now, when everybody knows what's going on. Everybody's going to say, like with you, like, Deb, that was my great, 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 great grandmother, man. She knew what was going on. And that's what I said to Angela. <laughs> it may be a rough time now, but now and now she's died and her husband's died. And and now it's, it's a situation where this will pass on and she will go into history because she recorded uh, what happened to her and she stood up against all odds and against, uh, you know, her career and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's what we've got to remember is that you're recording history that people don't know what's going on now. It'll be it's like living at the time of Christ or the signing of the Constitution or something. We were here when this all started. We're the first ones to sort of wake up and say something's going on, something's something's going on. And um, so I, I acknowledge and thank you for recording this and putting it down for future generations to to read.
1: Well, thank, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, I had a dream one time, one of those lucid dreams yeah. that, that my, like to the nth power, great, your grand, great grandson from yeah. way in the future came yeah. back and got me because he, and he took me to to his time because they wanted to meet me. And he took me there. And I remember the place was beautiful, clean. Everything was white but the one thing that stood out to my mind was how neat the toilet was
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> because the toilet, when you used it, it told you everything about your health. It told you it would talk to you and say, you need to drink more water um, or your vitamin such and such is low or, or whatever it, it, it assessed your health. Every time you use the restroom and it talks to you, and I'm like, that is the coolest toilet I've ever seen in
0: my life. And, and, and that's like noetic material. That's where you get material that probably will turn out to be true. You had another one and I, I want to go in that one. And that was about the blood. What were you told about blood?
1: I was told by someone, I do not know who, um, that the questions, the answers to the questions that we have are in our blood. And now that was back in the, late eighties, early nineties. And that was in response to a question that was asked of me by some researchers who had put together this test with me and another woman who'd had the experiences who was very similar to me. And they had us, they gave us a series of questions and um, they wanted us to read one every night before we went to bed and went to sleep, read it three times. And then when we woke up in the morning, write down the first thing. That came to our mind after we read it again when we woke up and um that was the answer to a question uh all the all the questions all the answers you seek are in the blood wow
0: i'll i'll, I'll give you a background on that um i i started before i got into you i was never interested in ufos or extraterrestrials i was interested in paranormal stuff i was interested in edgar casey 1927 uh, this is before they knew there were three different blood types in 1927, but the RH negative, you know, this famous alien blood type was not discovered till 1940. Uh, blood tests weren't started till 1940. This is what Edgar Casey said in 1927. There is no condition existent in a body that the reflection of the same may not be traced to in the blood supply. The day will yet arrive when one may be able to take a drop of blood and diagnose the condition of any physical body. 1927. So that's, a, that's a psychic. And that's where you see this. That's why I say it's so important that you journal this stuff because you're picking up stuff that they're basically sort of showing you the future. They're showing you things that people can, can actually pick up on and learn from.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I told, Bud all the stuff that I remembered and I, and I, you know, I don't think he really knew what to do with it at the time. And then a lot of it, he, as a researcher, some of it he wanted to keep private for control purposes because you know a lot of this wasn't out in mainstream world yet and he wanted to have some things that if questions he could ask somebody who thought they had his experience and they may come up with the same you know answer i had and he didn't want them to be able to read it somewhere uh I was actually told by him once he started investigation, don't don't be reading any more stuff about it for you know, a while. <laughs> which makes- I didn't. Which I never was that big of a reader. I was a I was a reader when my kids were little because it was free and <laughs> yeah. we lived across the street from the library, so I would pick up books and read. Uh, I couldn't afford cable or anything like that, but now once my eyes got wrecked, reading is such a chore. I love audio books, so.
0: We, we I'll, I'll go in a minute uh, to um, your, your drawings. Uh, you're an artist, and Bud was an artist. I remember uh, Roger Lear, who did the alien implants in, in, in the 17 alien implant removals. They asked yeah. him, what was, what was common between all experiencers? He said, they're all right brain creative people, and there's tons of them in Hollywood. And then he said that all the implants are on the left side of the body, which means the right brain, the, the female right brain is, is runs the left side of the body. But that, this idea that you were picking up this stuff. So let me see, let's see if I can take over the screen here and share screen. And we'll go to your website where people um, should go share. Uh,
1: What the heck? Where's your website? Come on.
0: Okay, so here we uh, here here's the dream to bud. Maybe you can start with that. We, we're we're on your website here on the drawings. I want to go through some of these drawings. But you had a luc- You've had these lucid dream uh, situations, which I also say is very important uh for people to listen to when a person has these types of dreams they they're usually very uh insightful so tell us a story about bud and you have a dream about bud after he dies
1: yeah it it, it was weird because i had i'd never dreamed about him before and um you know he'd been gone for quite some time uh but i uh r- remember it was near, it was almost when I woke up. So it was near the end of my sleep cycle, whenever, whatever that is. And, um, we were sitting in a, a, like a, I don't know, an outdoor patio place or something. And, uh, Bud was there and he looked fabulous. He looked young and fresh and tan. And he, the thing that struck me was that he was wearing, uh, a Hawaiian shirt. And if you knew Bud, <laughs> he'd never wear a Hawaiian shirt. Uh, you know, he, I think he had the same blue pinstripe shirt everywhere he went and sweater. He had a sweater, but, um, and, and, and you know, I i think that the, it, I thought that the Hawaiian shirt was a symbol for something in the dream. It was to tell me something that he wasn't going to verbally tell me because he really didn't talk to me. he, he's I said oh my god you look great and um I said is that really you is it like I told you I thought it would be because you know when he found out he was gonna die he talked to me he, he wrote me letters yeah. and he said I want you to hear this from me I don't want you to hear this from somebody else I've got this and it's I'm gonna die and I'm you know yeah. and um of course I was de- devastated but yeah. he was not um he didn't. He was not a big believer in the afterlife. Yeah. I think he was pretty much an atheist in that he felt like you know when you died you're just poof, you're gone and that's it, and he was okay with that. I mean he had no he didn't have any need to you know yeah. believe anything else. But I always used to say, I think there's more, Bud. You know I had that near death experience and yeah. I said I, I said I think there's more, you know. And so in the dream I say to him, Did uh, is it like I told you I thought it'd be, and and I was so happy to see him. He never answered me, didn't speak to me, but he smiled and he he kind of gave his head that little bobble that he'd do every once in a while. You know, he just smiled real big and then poop, I was awake. But I had the the only message I think that uh he said to me was, I'm proud of you, kid. And the weird part of it is I had just finished contact extraordinary contact. I had just finished it. And also, but I also felt like that wasn't just meant for me. And L- Leslie Keen came into my mind yeah. immediately when I woke up and I thought I have to tell her about this dream because this is meant for her too. Yeah. And so I sent her a message. Little did I know what she was up to at the time I sent her that message, but apparently there was some really awesome stuff going down with her book that she had written
0: um, uh, on life after death. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. There was some, something was going to happen, like some TV thing. Well, I didn't know anything about it, but, but apparently this was right about this time. And I said, so I sent her this message and I said, this message was not just meant for me. He wanted me to tell you that he's proud of you. (laughs) <laughs> and she wrote me back and she said, Oh my God, that's so wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with me because it was so intensely the, the, the drive to contact her was so strong that I couldn't not, you know, and I've come to re- realize in my life that when I feel like that, I better act on it. Yeah.
0: Wow. So, so you you, you have, you do some art you do. And a lot of this just came to you. You have like, like these noetic things. So, we had the crop circles back in the nineteen nineties, and you can see my screen, correct? Yeah. From yours, okay. So here's the the crop circle from nineteen ninety, and here's your drawing. You maybe comment on that?
1: Well, you know, I got these all these visions. I called them these these drawings, shapes, and and you know, little verbs, verbages, little you know sentences, What came to me over a course of a couple of years. More intensely for several months, I would have to keep a notebook next to my bed at night because it would wake me up out of a sound sleep. And if I didn't draw what I saw or write down what I'd heard, it wouldn't leave me alone until I did. And I could even be driving down the street. And if a thought, a a phrase or something sentence come in my mind, I couldn't focus on driving until I pulled over and wrote it down. Once I put it down where it (laughs) wouldn't be lost, then I was free to go you know but it wouldn't leave me alone until then and this drawing here i called it a transformation from dark to light and um i know that the crop circle showed up let's see uh, i that might have been early 90s and the crop circle showed up after i done, did the drawings but uh i know a lot of people believe that all crop circles are done by humans and even if that's true yeah, something had to put that design into that human's mind yeah. to put it down on the ground
0: i think and that's I actually think, what colin andrew said that, that when he talked to the hoaxers they said i was sitting in the living room one day and this idea came into my head and i had to go put it down and, <laughs> and so it was that's what you're basically saying is that yeah you know, they 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 seemed to they were they were making the crop circles and then they're making the crop circles that were hoaxed as well
1: and i even got i even got like excited a couple of them that i saw i felt like they were really important and they meant something really important but i didn't know what it was but i just knew that i literally had a physical reaction to them like the hair on my arms would stand up and i my heart would start to pound and i felt real excited like yes but i don't know why
0: is this the kind of stuff that bud was holding back for control purposes yeah okay here's a crop circle and here's your drawing of it And so explain this one here between that
1: one. Yeah, that one was when I drew that. Whoever put that in my mind said, that's you. That's your people. That's you. Okay. I don't know what that means, but.
0: Interesting. Okay. This one here and yours here. (laughs)
1: yeah and i don't know what that meant i saw that on the wall of a place where i was and i don't know how i got there and i don't know how i got home but i know the walls were black and shiny like marble and this was like carved into it and then you know painted white in the carving
0: wow and this one the triangle on the pyramid
1: Hmm. I was so I was so obsessed with pyramids and triangles during that <laughs> part of my life, for real. And I even drew a picture. I, I, I spent the night out in the back of a pickup truck in the middle of a bean field down in southern Indiana with a bunch of people watching the sky. This was in the 80s. And I had this vision in my head of the moon at, with like a dozen black triangles flying either to it or from it. I I was never able I was never able to discern, discern which direction these triangle crafts were coming from that I drew but they were there was a, a bunch of them and they were coming from the moon to here or they were going from here to the moon I don't know but wow. that's another thing I saw in my head that I drew but more yeah. triangles
0: yeah I just I just did a book on triangles and and we go through the people who have the triangles on their wrists you had the scoop mark which I'm I'm not sure they're doing the scoop mark. They seem to be doing the triangle now. They put triangles on people's wrists.
1: I and I always that. say, well,
0: you had the triangle on the wrist too?
1: I did. Yep. It looked like somebody just scooped the top layer of my skin off on on, on my wrist. <laughs> and and so
0: th- there's so a then picture I always say, like, so what is this about? Like, what is this, a pre abduction maneuver or whatever? I it's like, it's like symbols. They're, they're, the, the triangle seems to be a very important symbol. Um, a, a lot of people will talk about this. And you've got, I think you've got one more drawing coming up with, with, with triangles as well. I'm glad to see you had the triangle as well. And we had we had a, quite a few uh, people come forward with the triangles of various types. But it, it's usually you know on the wrist. Whereas in the old days it was a scoop mark thing. Yeah. And you had that as well, right? And your mother had yep. that.
1: I, my mom did. My mom. I always thought mine was you know a birthmark that I inherited from my mom because it was exactly identical to hers in the yeah. same place.
0: Wow. So you have this circle and then this one here. Which is the writing? Did you get the writing? Bud was keeping writing, right? He was.
1: Yeah, he, he did keep it. Um, I never got full on like pages and pages of writing like some people did. I just got bits and pieces that I drew down. That was this was counting, and this was some kind of counting, and this to was more like timekeeping of some wow. sort. And look at that! Does that not look like the symbol for Wi-Fi?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. But
1: I did wow. that, you know, back in the 80s.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's, yeah. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And then this one here.
1: And that, the drawing I did that I call Casey's Bubbles. Oh, yeah. That was, these are universes. Yeah. Okay. I had, I call it my Roy moment from Close Encounters of the Third Kind when my son was, my my kids love bubbles and, you know, you could get them for a dime. And uh, he had one of those big things, big wand with a whole bunch of holes in it where you go like this and there was just big wad of bubbles. And he was playing with that. And I, I saw this big wad of bubbles and I, like, I had this Roy moment and I thought, that's what they were telling me about. Those are universes and all those little dark places where they touched a little bit you can pass through those okay. communication can happen through those travel can happen through those but they move and they're very fleeting they don't last long just like soap bubbles they slide around and those little parts where they're one for a minute for a second you know so but that's that was another uh, example of the way my brain was trying to process this stuff in it
0: or the way they're putting stuff through your brain to uh, bring it out which leads to the question you mentioned that um, Bob Bigelow got your file from John Carpenter had sold files to Bigelow and your file was one of them so now you have you you see this whole thing about the ATIP and the OSAP and the Congress is involved and we're investigating UFOs. So let me ask you the question that I've asked a number of experiences: did they actually come to you and ask you what's going on?
1: No, but you know what? I wouldn't mind if they did. I've always I, said, don't there's no reason to be uh, slippery with me. I didn't ask for this. And uh, you know, it, I'm sure those people are smarter than me and know more than I do. I would always have always been willing to answer questions yeah.
0: and- Well, that's, you know, that's, yeah, that's the point. That's where I, I'm wondering what they're actually up to because they didn't talk to you. And I think you have yeah. probably as many answers as anybody. And Chris Bledsoe, I talked to Chris Bledsoe, he's got like 30,000 photos and videos. He's been filming over and over again. He's like a high level government people. I said, did these uh, people come to you and ask for your photographs? No, no, And so then you wonder like, what are they really doing? They said they're investigating. But they're not talking to any of the major people, and then you and wonder, you know like, what?
1: Well, I got about fifteen chunks of dirt that I dug from the center of the hole. Yeah, exactly. It, it, you know yeah. it, where the mark was that snow melted off of, for the first year. I still have them. They survived the tornado in my mom's cedar chest in some plastic bags, yeah. and I dug them out, and I've got them hidden here in the house. But I've no if somebody I know. I realize they're thirty nine years old. But they do look kind of weird. They look rocky-like. But, I mean, I'd be more than happy to give somebody some if they want to examine it.
0: That's where I think we're still in in the boat where I think it's the civilian people who are going to find the answer to this thing. I don't think the government's really digging. They want to build weapons or they want to do whatever they want to do with whatever they've got. And they... I, that's why they're they're not talking to the major experiences who they should be talking to, which means they, they must be doing something else. So tell tell the story about the dirt. I mean, the very weird story that you mm-hmm. had the dirt and that was in the in this, in the circle and, and the experiment uh-huh. you did with it to show you to show uh-huh. people how weird this dirt was.
1: But first, let me say I do not believe disclosure is going to come from any government on earth. Right. I believe the disclosure is going to come from people like me and right. them. Then right on. the ones that right on. be disclosed they're gonna be the ones that determine when this is coming and i'm just telling you i feel like it's coming real soon and they no government on the planet gonna stop it
0: yeah right right on <laughs> right but anyway
1: on. the dirt let me say uh it smelled weird <laughs> i don't know what smell it smelled weird like i don't know rotten eggs or weird um and it was rock hard. I was 100 pounds heavier than I am now. And I was out there with my dad's spade trying to dig up some samples to, to send a bud. And I was literally jumping on this spade. And I was just barely chunking up pieces of this. And there was a crack on one side. And I wanted to see how deep the crack was it was almost like the dirt kind of pushed up on one side and cracked down deep. When I got one of those 12 inch rulers from the school, you know, yeah, school yeah. ruler like 12 inch and I tried to stick it down in there and I dropped it and it disappeared. So I've mm-hmm. n- never found it. So I don't have no idea how deep that crack went, but, um, I managed to chunk up some of this stuff and I put a bunch of it away. I don't know why something just said, you better hang on to some of this messy. And, uh, uh, I put an experiment, I put a piece of this dirt in a glass of water and I put a piece of dirt that I dug up another part of the yard in water, which when I put the dirt in of the other part of the yard in water, it uh, it was mud, you know, in an hour. But I left the dirt clump from the mark in the yard in the water for 24 hours overnight. And it was still just a clump of dirt when I got up the next day it the water had absolutely no effect on it whatsoever none and uh i don't know bud bud did take some samples it, it, he did some had some laboratory do some stuff with it and they found a couple odd things with it um with the uh the dirt like they had to bake it at some ridiculous yeah. temperature for a ridiculous amount of time to even get it to re- be remotely dry Uh, But I don't think they could still get it to be as moisture repellent as it was, and I don't think there was any kind of uh, micro biological life in in the soil or something like that. I I, it's in Intruders, the report about what the happened to the soil. So you probably know more than I do because I don't remember
0: all I I always call that the stuff like the theory of wow, where they just they want they do these really really weird things. They just keep you thinking. It's like you know I asked Jacques Ballet about the pieces that fall out of the sky, and I said. No, Jacques. This doesn't make any sense. You come across the galaxy, and you, you know, you avoid gal- galaxies and black holes, and you get here, and then pieces start falling off the flying saucer. I mean, this—it looks like it's—and then he said, "I said, it looks like they're dropping this stuff as gifts to try to get people to think and to do investigations and realize we are not alone, and that something weird is going on." And that's when he said, "Well, I think I kind of came up with the idea of the gifting. Uh, that 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 they're this is what they're doing. They're they're using you and and people like me and and stuff." to get the message out that the government not, as you said, it's not going to come from the government. It's going to come from people like you. And so I'm going to keep pushing to try to get people to listen to people like you who actually are in, in, in getting the messages and, and have the material that, that can get us to the, at least to the idea that the world is not the way you think it is. It's a little bit different.
1: Mm, I feel like I see a teeny tiny sliver of what's going on around me. And every now and then I can get a glimpse of something else. Uh, And I almost feel like there's a, I have like some extra wiring in my brain uh, that I can glimpse this other stuff that it, you know, I, I wish I had more control of it so I could strengthen and focus it and see it because it, it, one time I thought I saw my late husband, Uh, I wasn't feeling good and I was laying down and I had my eyes closed and I opened my eyes and I looked up at the ceiling was just a white ceiling. No one was in the room with me. And all of a sudden I saw this face like push through the space between the white ceiling and me. And have you ever seen one of those toys uh, that's full of pins and you put your hand on it and it pushes the impression of the hand out the backside. That's what this did. But it was clear I could see through the, I could see the ceiling and everything, but I could also now see his face. I could see the details and I mean, you know, not color, but I knew the shape of my husband's face, the nose, the mouth, the lips, the face, the eyes, it pushed through some kind of thin veil between us and it looked concerned and I, I wasn't afraid. And I looked up at it and I said, I'm Okay you can go back. And when I said that it, it retreated and it went away, but it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. I wasn't afraid because I knew I recognized him, but it was like he was standing in the room with me, but we were separated by this thin skin that I couldn't see through, but he could, you know, I mean, it's just the weirdest Thing I know it
0: do, sounds you you do you think the intelligence has this as part of the message about life after death. I think they the free survey showed that 25% of people claimed that they had um, been told reincarnation was a part of it that they would they or Chris Bletzel and asked him, when did you first see them? Well, bef- they've been with me since before I was born. Uh, was that another lifetime? Yes, this idea that yes. this is part of the message that you and you and 37% of all near ethics, uh, people experiencers, I always said, tell me this is coincidence. You have all these experiencers and then 37% of those have a near-death experience, which is like eight times the national average, 37%. The average is 5%. And you had a near-death experience. Can you tell us about that as well?
1: It was when my oldest son was born. I uh, he wasn't due for almost seven weeks. And I developed eclampsia and I went into heart failure, liver failure, kidney failure. I was semi comatose. I was taken in for an emergency C-section. I had less than 50% chance of survival. The baby actually had more of a chance of survival than I did. And this was 43 years ago, almost. So I remember, you know, they, they I, I remember them cutting me open. I couldn't move. I was paralyzed, but I could feel every single thing they did. It was a burning pinch and pull, pinch and pull, and I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs and tell them I could feel it, but I could not. And um, I heard the doctors talking about sailboats at Geist Reservoir. I heard somebody in the mur- in, in the operating room talking about sailboats at Geist Reservoir, and then. Um, their voices started to go fade. Their voices started feeling going farther and farther away. And uh, all of a sudden I felt myself disconnect from my body. I, it was a literal feeling of, and I was suddenly in a black box and it was black. I, I could not see my hands, but I knew they were there. I could feel them you know, and I started to pound on this box and I started to, I I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Let me out. I am not dead. Let me out of this thing. And the voices were farther and farther away. and It almost sounded like they were in another room once I disconnected and their voices were going farther and farther away. Then I heard a woman's voice blast through my, my, being into the box. And I think in retrospect, it it must have been a nurse. I I don't I'm I'm a my rational self tells me it was a nurse. Yeah. And she said, you can't leave yet. You just had a baby and he needs his mother. And when she said you just had a baby, I was like, I just had a baby. I had completely forgotten that I had just had a baby, I completely forgotten about the entire life I was trying to get away from. I completely forgotten about all of it. I just wanted to get out of this box and go. And when when she said that, I'm like, I ain't going anywhere. <laughs> Boom, and I I locked back in. And as soon as I connected back into my body, all I could the sounds came rushing back, and every I heard all this the yelling and all the banging around and the noise and people hollering back and forth things. And all I could think about was my baby, my baby, my baby, you know, and then all of a sudden it felt like I was getting air that I hadn't been breathing. And then I was breathing air was filling in my lungs and it was so delicious. And I was gulping it in like water, for a uh, somebody that just came out of the desert, I was just <gasps> gulping down this air. And it was, oh, it felt so good. It just felt so good. And I was just gulping it down. And, and I began to be able to move. And I wiggled my legs. And I know I moved them because I felt a strap go down around them and tighten back up. And um, they ended up, they had to uh, paddle me twice to get me started. Oh. And I don't, I don't recall the electrical part unless it was the whoop. But, uh, yeah, once I, once that was over with, um, you know, I told my doctor, I said, I heard you talking about sailboats and he's like, he didn't say anything. And I said, I also felt you cut me open. And then he looked at me kind of weird. And I told him how it felt. I said, it's not like the theater movies when they just slice you. I said, it was a pinch and a pull, pinch and a pull. And it burnt like fire. And I wanted to scream. And then he was looking at me like, oh, damn, you know, and then, um, But he never did confirm or deny anybody was talking about sailboats. Uh, But I kept my blood pressure was still way high. It was like in the 250s. And um, I I said, my baby, my baby, I came back for my baby and my baby's dead. Nobody's telling me because you're afraid I'll leave if you don't, you know, and he's like, your baby is fine. He goes, as a matter of fact, I can't believe how fine your baby is. He was six, at least six weeks premature, but his lungs were fully developed. He did not have any body fat. He didn't have any fingernails or toenails. He had long white hair all over him and his eyes were sealed shut and his ears were curled like Dr. Spock ears. And um, I finally, they were taking my blood pressure every five minutes. And the doctor came in again and he goes, what is it going to take? To calm you down, I said, "My baby." He said, "Put her ass on a stretcher and <laughs> take her down there right now." So they did. They took me out of ICU and they rode me down to the NICU. Rolled me up along the incubator where my baby was screaming bloody murder. And I reached in and put my hand in there and I held his foot and I said, yeah. "Mama's here." And he shut right up. And the nurse standing next to him said, "Look at that! All he wanted was his mom. He just wanted to make sure you he was here." <laughs>
0: you know, we
1: both went home together. Seven days later.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating Sorry.
1: That I didn't have your typical near-death experience. I didn't see Jesus. I didn't see a bunch of dead people that I knew. I yeah. didn't see a white light. But I knew that I disconnected from my body. And I would have gotten out if it hadn't been for my baby.
0: Yeah. It's it's almost like it's, it's just another one of the messages, almost like with the UFO stuff, is like, to look at people and say, "You think th- what's happening around you is real? You're missing. The- you're missing the point. There's there's a lot more going on than what people uh, think is going on." And you've just got like your- I
1: say, the brain is a tube-type radio in Adobe Digital Surround Sound Beautiful. world. Because I'm sitting right here in this room right now and I got television signals, Wi-Fi. I got like 10 Wi-Fi signals probably going through me right now. But my brain isn't wired to receive it. So I can't perceive it. Yeah, But I am here to say there's something different about me. And the older I get, the more pronounced it gets. Like like I said, I, I don't know if I was born this way. I don't know if the early contact, the early physical contact facilitated this, but I feel like I have extra wiring or something, like I said, that, yeah. that, that I can perceive maybe a little bit more. Maybe that's why mom and I saw that boomerang shaped crap, but nobody else around us did yeah. because we're, we're wired to receive this stuff. And then I had, uh, you know, I, I've had MRIs, MRAs and CTAs of my brain and neck because I have FMD, which is a genetic disorder in the vascular system. And so they check for that. And my ocular neurologist and my regular neurologist have both told me I have a bright spot in the center of my brain. And now I've developed a bright spot in my um, visual cortex of my brain, but they're not dangerous. And they're not anything to worry about. And I asked, uh, I asked the visual or the optical neurologist what it was. And she said, uh, they believe that it's probably scar tissue from migraines. And I said, well, I don't have migraines. (laughs) Well, I did start having ocular migraines a couple of years ago. But, you know, this was before they, you know, they, uh, this was after they already said that. And I have these ocular migraines and I only, I've only had like four, but I see these triangular prisms of light that spin like a kaleidoscope in the left eye in the lower vision yeah. starts wow. with flashing. Then I see this, uh, this arc of triangles that twirl and they're beautiful, beautiful colors. And then I'm blind in that eye for about 20 minutes, Wow. but it's not in my eyeball. It's in my brain.
0: Yeah. yeah. Fascinating fascinating yeah. have you had have you had any uh pre-birth uh remembrances or stuff like that i
1: remember uh i was just i was just i was and i was just like hanging in darkness looking at this beautiful sun and i remember this when i was a little kid like i was just hanging in darkness looking at this beautiful bright sun or what looked like a sun to me and all of a sudden the sun exploded in a infinite number of shards of this glistening golden light and they just shot out everywhere and somebody said to me in that moment that's you beautiful then all of those shards it was my understanding that each one of those shards was a soul that went somewhere and existed. And then when it was finished, it came back to the sun and it brought back with them ev- with it everything that it had experienced when it went to this life. And then it, could, it, it would go somewhere else if it wanted to. But there was always a, a bunch there that didn't go anymore. You know, it, it was always like the sun. So it would explode and then it would come back and it would explode and come back. And I was a little kid when I had this
0: dream. Wow. And that's, that's pretty, I think pretty much accurate according to, you know, some of the later thinking as to how this thing reality may actually work. You had another dream about being in a facility where you were being sent out. You're in a a big facility.
1: (sighs) You know, all my life, I used to hang up, picture an eight year old girl hanging upside down on her swing set with her Chuck Taylor swinging in the wind and her hair dragging the ground. <laughs> and I'm looking up at the stars at night and I'm thinking to myself, there's somebody up there that misses me and I miss them. And thinking, I know there's somebody up there looking at my star, at, at my light, and wondering if I'm here. And I'm here, I'm here. And I'm thinking of all the things that I can do in this world, you know, and I'm thinking, is that it? you know is that all there is here you know and um i i had a dream one time where i was in this giant i mean it was like a multiple football field size hangar or something yeah kind of like star wars stuff you know you know where there's it was like a place where there was all different kinds of life all different kinds of creatures walking around, you know, and it was so cool and I wasn't scared and it just felt comfortable. And, uh, I remember getting on this craft, boarding this craft and with other people and this old, old man whom I absolutely loved with everything that I am, you know, he was saying, you know, wishing us goodbye. And, uh, I I was sad. I didn't want to leave him. And I'm like, I'm never going to forget you. And he he's like, yeah, you will. I'm like, no, I won't. And I remember, you know, getting in this thing and going away. And then all my life as a kid growing up, I always felt like I didn't, I always felt like, uh, I didn't belong here. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, like I, uh, I mean, I love my mom and dad. I look like my mom and dad, you know, I, my siblings and all that, but somehow I just wasn't, I just never felt like I fit
0: you know there's, there's some leakage back the the, the dream that impress uh, the one of the most impressive parts of your story is your repetitive dream i think you've had it 5 times Ooh. i think it's very meaningful can you go through that dream it's a three
1: part ma- dream that i've st- i've had from the time i was very young and it, when i have one of these when i have the first dream i know that the next two nights i'm going to have the, the next two you know part of the dream it's like a it's like a mini series of dreams over a period a couple of days. Yeah. It's always the same um, it starts out i'm in um uh, i'm somewhere I'm on earth I'm somewhere around here, and it's uh bad. The weather is horrible, the wind is blowing the 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 rain stings my face uh the sky is a weird color uh, I'm literally digging my fingers in the mud to hold on. And I'm trying to get somewhere. At one point I'm in a ditch like, and I'm looking across this open field and I see this hill and I'm thinking, I got to get to that hill. If I just get to that hill, I'll be all right. And, um, the sky is weird colors and I see like red and green streaks in the sky. And, um, so I'm, I'm clawing my way across this field on my belly. Like I said, the wind is blowing in my face. The, the rain is smashing me, like stinging me in the face.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I get to the base of this um, hill and I look up and there is a dude standing on the top of this hill and it's not a great big hill. Um, I don't know. It reminded me of a lot of the the mound at Cahokia about that size you know and um this guy standing on top of this hill this weather is having absolutely no effect on him whatsoever he's clean he's dry his hair is not blowing around in the wind um there's a strange light around him a, a soft light uh he's got all dressed in white and he leans down and says it's time to go home mm-hmm. And he reaches his hand out. And I take his hand, and I wake up.
0: Uh, almost sounds like your life. Like you get put in here. It's going to be a very tough life. Um, you go across, uh, and you, you have the 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 water. Uh, there the rain, which you've, uh, maybe you can elaborate on that. You've had a couple, because there's got to be maybe five or six people. There's going to be thousands of people that listen to this, but there's got to be five or six people who need a roof. So can can you talk about how to manifest a roof?
1: <laughs> All right. I know how crazy it sounds. I really do. And I hesitated to say anything to anybody. And I kind of told my husband about it in jest. And I, after I told a couple other people I'm like that is really kind of interesting. We we moved from this big old farmhouse and we did not have uh it 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 was a big job and it cost a lot more money than I thought it was going to cost to move and get everything moved over. And the house we got was a great price, but we also knew it was going to need a new roof and it was going to need new air conditioner and furnace before you know, it was all said and done. But the, there was no leaks, it, the roof looked pretty good and everything. But um we're looking at a lot of money here. And we thought we were going to be able to have the time to do it. And then my insurance company pulled a, uh, nasty on me and, and threatened if you don't replace that roof within a year, we're not going to, uh, insure the house. And I'm like, you can't do that. And there was nothing wrong with the roof. It did not look bad. I have lived in way worse. So, uh, but so that put a extra stress on me, you know, and I'm a worrier about that. sort. I was, I'm not so much anymore, but I was worrier about that. And, uh, I had bought, I had gotten this book, you know, um, called E-Squared, I think by Pam Grout. I can't remember the name exactly, but it was about manifesting things. And I kind of, I don't know, but some of the thoughts that had popped in my head over the years kind of led me to believe that I was capable of that. And so was everybody actually, once you figure it out but uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. You know, I, she, she wrote a good book. She's a great, excellent writer. It made sense. I did a couple of the small exercises in the earlier chapters and it worked. I mean, I would do this exercise and and the next day I'd get like a $20 check in the mail from some overpayment on insurance. I had no idea that I'd done, you know, and it was like, what the hell? So, um, and it wasn't just about money. You can manifest all kinds of stuff, you know, and you just I guess it's just out there and you just reach out and grab it and pull it to you and you live it like it's already happened and you think it as if it's already in existence. And my mom used to say, if you can think it, it it exists somewhere. Mind over matter. Mom always used to pound that into us. And um so anyway, uh I had had reached a point where it was gonna be bigger, the exercise was gonna get more uh bigger. <laughs> You know because i think there were like nine in this book that you progressively got asked for more and more yeah. and uh i was stressing out real bad having a hard time sleeping laying in bed and i thought about that book and i'm like you know what i'm gonna try it right now sure. and i got the book out reread it to make sure i knew what i was gonna do what was what i was gonna do i you know i lit my incense and put my, you know, tones on so I could get my brain in the right, you know, meditate a little bit and calm myself down and really feel that power inside of me and say, you're, I, I want you to bring this to me and I want you to bring it to me, you know, right away. I don't, you you have to, as I learned, you need to be real specific. I'm like, I need a new roof, a new air conditioner and a new furnace and I need them right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I did this and then for a flicker of a moment, it felt like I had him. And I thought, yeah, that's cool. And so I went to bed and I was actually able to fall asleep because I kind of felt good after I, you know, calmed down within 36 hours, my house was hit by a tornado. I was in the closet when it hit (laughs) and there was nothing left of this house, but the outer walls and the closet I was in of course, there was a bunch of crap on top of me, I had to be dug out, but I didn't have a scratch on me. And by God, my insurance company, we were catastrophic loss number 25 that year. And so everything went straight to the top. And I got a new roof, a new air conditioner and a new furnace and (laughs) a new everything. And so I I thought, what? How how does this even happen? Uh, You know, and i told my husband i said you know what i did you know like the night before the tornado and he's like what i told him he goes why the hell did you do that (laughs) and he said next time why don't you try being a little more specific about the delivery method and after i read some more of her book it's like yeah you gotta be the universe doesn't know the difference between you know uh uh a lottery ticket or uh or a tornado whatever the shortest meet the between two points is where it's going to go I got new I got everything I asked for and I got it real quick
0: (laughs) (laughs) that that that, that's when I was when I heard you talk about the dream I'm thinking like that is so true of your life like the you know the struggle you've had a tough life if people read your book and read your story you haven't had a an easy go of it through your life and I think that's probably what's going to happen when you're finished they're going to say Deb good job Time to go home. And you You know what I told
1: my, I told somebody one time, I go, what the hell is it with me and all this crap that I have between, between the paranormal stuff, the UFO, quote, unquote, whatever that is stuff. And, and just life, you know, I've lived through things that most people never even experience. And then I, I thought, who did I piss off to get all this at once? And then I thought, you know what? Knowing me, I probably went into some business meeting somewhere and said, yeah, I'll do this, that hell with it. Let's just get it all over with it once and I won't have to come back. <laughs> and I, my mother told me one time when I was a little kid that she said, you used to tell me that you were going to do this. You were going to get married and you were going to have kids and you were going to get divorced. And I go, what kid says they're going to get divorced? <laughs> and she said, you told me that you were going to live in a big white farmhouse with a green roof and a pork swing. And this was when I was, you know, kindergarten. Yeah. And she was telling me this, we were sitting on my porch swing in my big white farmhouse with the green roof. Wow. And she goes, I don't know what it is about you of all four of my kids, but you're the only kid that I know that I have that can fall into a bucket of shit and come out <laughs> smelling like a rose every time. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> my own mother told me
0: that. <laughs> well, my
1: mom was she was special, she was a different kind of person.
0: Wow. But it's, it's a good lesson that people can see that no matter how bad it gets, that there's an, by looking at your, the way you've handled it and how it's worked, that, that in the end, it'll all work out.
1: Well, that's what I, I said earlier. Everything is a choice. And I may not always get to choose exactly what happens to me, but I can always choose how I'm going to respond to it, how I'm going to use, I chose, I watched my husband commit suicide. I watched him shoot himself in our backyard with a yeah. 12 gauge. That's not a pretty thing to see. All the sheriffs in Howard County were with me when we did it. Some people could never recover from that. Yeah, I did. Not only did I recover from it, but I became stronger for it. And and now 28 years later, I can say that the fact that I was out there and I saw that was a blessing to me because it showed me how strong I can be and I am. And I visualize myself as this little ball in a slingshot yeah. and whoever it is that's holding the slingshot and they pull me down and the farther down they pull me the farther up I go when they let wow. go
0: you're, you know? you're you're a wonderful example
1: and I, I just feel like you know like I said it would be very easy for me to live the, my life bitter and angry and, and yeah. paranoid and sad it's very easy for somebody in my shoes and with my experiences to attribute anything negative or weird to the parent, the the phenomenon, you know what I mean? And that was a rabbit hole. I never wanted to go down because, you know, my kids kept me grounded and I wanted to be a stable parent and give them a good life. And uh, so I never allowed myself to go there. I always tried to find the prosaic answer for everything. And I always tried to find the silver lining to every cloud. I always tried to find the lesson in every experience. And I believe that the universe speaks to me and, you listen more than just with your ears or your eyes it it it, it tells you i've learned to trust my instinct it never s- steers me wrong
0: wow wonderful words it, Let, let's let's yeah. finish these these drawings cuz there's one i want to show you we actually put it in the triangle book but i want to finish this cuz i've I still want to do a little bit on a ports and we want to do your EVP things. And I got two important questions yet to go through, but let's go mm-hmm. through these, these last drawings here that are on your website that people should check out your website. You've got a lot of stuff you journal on the website and you're, mm-hmm. you're retired now. So you're putting a lot of this stuff up, correct?
1: Yeah. Well, my so husband's this, my webmaster, but.
0: There you go. Uh, there, so this is the, the crop circle. And this is what you drew again. We're into the triangle mm-hmm. thing. Yep.
1: Yeah. And that thing that I drew, actually, I felt like I saw it somewhere, you know, I guess on a ship or wherever I was, not, I wasn't at home. I'll just say that where I was, I'm not sure. And I, at first I thought it was alive because it was moving. And I thought it was some kind of weird animal, uh, because it was like rotating and moving in a strange way, like in a 3d way. And it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And so that's why I drew that. Wow. This one here. That's my Wi-Fi signal again.
0: There you go. Yeah, that's, <laughs> pretty, that's, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Here's your triangle one you were talking about before, I think, with the, yeah. with the triangle.
1: All those black triangles in the moon. <laughs>
0: And, and this came to you that, sort of in a, in, a, in a moment of inspiration or in a dream, or how did this come? No,
1: I was laying in the back of a pickup truck in the middle of a bean field with a bunch of people, and we were sky watching. And <laughs> uh, I, reason, I, was a, I was a MUFON investigator at that time, and there had been a bunch of reports of black triangles down in that area in Lucky Point, Indiana. So we were down there to investigate, and we just spent the night out in the bean field in the backs of our trucks looking at the sky, and the moon was bright, and I just had that vision uh you know while i was looking so i drew
0: it wow this is this is the one that um i want to talk about here okay so this one here um we put it in the triangle book with another one that is almost identical and then i got a phone call from race Hobbs, you know race Hobbs from kgr yeah. okay so race Hobbs for me said where the hell did you get that drawing and i said well somebody gave it to me and and uh, deb had had one and he had a girl who was 16 years old who was I think she's 16 she's putting out a, an album I'll send you all these uh, in fact I'll even send you the triangle book and you'll see the thing and he said she's asked us to put this on the cover and I'm wondering where did you get this drawing from and it's exactly the same except it's got the dots are in different places and uh, she wanted it on her her album of a record she was they were doing a record album for her or a cover and she insisted this had to be on the the album and I said well, find out if she's an experiencer or something like why she insisting this and I never did get an answer but you have one there's two almost identical to this it's just the dots are in different places that was
1: another again I was somewhere where there was that the black wall that was like black shiny granite and this was carved into it in an area and I don't know what it
0: means wow that, that that just fascinates me where you get these symbols because triangle seems to be the big, or even the, the black triangles, like why do you need a, a black triangle ship that's like two miles across and, and never lands? They None of them ever land. And then mm-hmm. you start wondering like, what is really going on here? Mm-hmm. So let's stop sharing. And I, wanna, I want to go through the apport thing quickly because I'm doing a book on apports and you've got some of the wildest apport stories. You already told me the one about Bud that uh, the day that Bud... Uh, phoned you about your letter. The the coffee table moves across. And uh, the wedding rings. Tell me the story about the, the, the rings. You have two stories of rings.
1: Well, the one ring story was um, my boyfriend at the time, who was later my husband, and the wedding ring was with him too. But uh, I was living with my mom and dad. We were in that house where all that happened and where June 3083 happened. And uh, I had set the ring down on the end table and I went... <clears throat> To bed, and I woke up the next morning, uh, and the ring was gone. And I searched the room for three days. I searched, I searched the whole house for this ring, and I couldn't find it. And I was heartbroken, and I didn't want to tell him I'd lost the ring. And um, so I was in the boy's bedroom, which was the room next to mine, running the sweeper one day. A couple of days later, and I thought that ring is in here. I don't know why it would, be. and I'm like that's ridiculous. So I, you know, stopped running the sweeper, and I looked under the beds. I looked under the uh, both beds, felt all around with my hands. I didn't see a ring anywhere in that room. So I run and sweeper again, and I'm like, that ring is in here. It's here in this room. <laughs> Eventually I kind of pulled up the carpeting a little bit. Let me tell you what, pulling carpeting up off a tax strip is not as easy as you think. <laughs> but I pull it, pulled it, pulled up the edge underneath uh Casey's bed and I I kind of feel up under there and I still don't think. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? My ring, my ring's not in here. And something is saying your ring is in here. And I'm like, okay. So I move the beds around and I am ripping the carpeting up. And I'm now I'm getting into the padding, you know, where they staple it to the wood floors and I'm pulling those up. Just I'm like ripping and padding off the And stage. your mother's
0: watching this whole thing, right? My
1: mom walks in and she's like, what in the hell are you doing? And I'm like, my ring's in here. My ring's in here. And she's standing there watching me tear up this room. And she's like, you're going to fix that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm like, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I I get this carpeting and padding pulled up and shoved up under this twin bed. There's two twin beds in this room and I can't get it out of the way enough. I get like way up almost in the middle of the room uh, up under this bed and there under the padding and the carpeting is my ring. And I was so glad that my mother saw that because if nobody had been there to see (laughs) that happen, there is no way in hell that no one would have believed that. I didn't even believe it. And and I'm like, how did the hell did this happen? And how did I know that, that it was here? And my mom's flipping out, you know, and then um, later I was married to the guy who gave me that ring yep. and um, I was, the, I, all I remember is my ring was gone, I woke up and there was grass in the bed on all over the back of me, all over the backside of me. And he had mowed the orchard the night before. And I know there was grass all in the bed and there was grass all over my backside and my hair and everything. My ring was gone. And, uh, I looked all over the place for my ring and, uh, eventually it, it, it appeared on the, the bed was by the window and the window had, I had like stones on it, crystal things, you know, uh, because I like that sort of thing. And, uh, my, my ring ended up there, but the weird part about it, uh, was after that, my husband said, he thought it was a sign that my ring was gone, that he, shouldn't be with me that i shouldn't be with anybody because i was he was inhibiting something that had i had to do and we ended up getting divorced <laughs> it had that big of an impact on him
0: Wow.
1: and uh d- what you just you read a story about the bees that were in the boys room that day
0: no i didn't hear no i didn't see that one no. i
1: think it's in that book uh, if, if it's not in uh, contact extraordinary contacts in the other one uh, abducted is the The kids were screaming and bloody murder. One morning we got up and the whole bedroom where they were at was full of bees. I mean, wow, hundred, maybe thousands of bees and they were lethargic. They were acting weird, but they were like hanging off the light fixtures. They were hanging off the curtains. Their floor was covered with them. The beds were covered with them, but they weren't, they didn't sting anybody or they weren't stinging it. They were like lethargic, like they were zoned out or something. Yeah. And, uh, we could never figure out how those bees uh, got in that bedroom because daddy had painted the window shut on accident, you know, a while back. And there was no, um, there was no like attic door in their closet in that there was no attic in that room. So there was no way that the bee, and this was a, a a sandstone house. It wasn't like a clapboard house. This was a stone house. So we could never figure out how those bees got in that room.
0: Wow. Um, The story, the story of the, um, the plants, the plants and the rocks, your collection of plants and rocks. It was,
1: it was after June 30, 83. And I had this obsession with seeds. Uh, Like, and, and everywhere I went, I had to get, I pick up a seed or a rock. I had pick up stones, and um, my I I, j- I joked at one time my bedroom probably looked like a botanist's uh, laboratory because I just had so much crap everywhere. I remember pulling over side of the road to snag some cattails and bring them home. And then one day, I uh, one morning I woke up and all my stuff was gone, and I thought my mom had uh, gotten rid of it because she'd been you know, bitching about it. And like, what are you going to do with all this stuff? It's nasty. And, and I woke up one morning and it was all gone. And I'm like, mom, did you take all my stuff? And she said, she didn't, she couldn't, she couldn't figure out where it was at either. So okay. I was, I took a spell after that June 30, 83 incident where I would like, when I would look at something, I would like take it apart with my brain.
0: Yeah.
1: I, literally. I mean, I tore apart radios just to see how they went apart and wow. then tried to put them back together and in the end at the end you know some of that stuck with me when I worked at um when I worked for the automotive manufacturer that's part supplier for them yeah I I ended up being a um a uh, uh I repaired circuit boards okay but I I had a high school diploma in a call in, in a beauty school <laughs> and I I taught myself schematics and uh My quality guy called me the gatekeeper because I would catch errors come off of in circuit testing from the uh, assembly from the uh, the line where the Siemens machine, the fast component things would put down. I'd catch errors. Then I had engineers used to bring me their. uh, garage door openers and key fobs and asked me to fix them. And I'm like, you make a whole lot more money than me. You got five bucks. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, they whip out $5 and I fix their garage door opener for them for, you know, for five bucks at my workbench." But I used to tease my, uh, quality guy. I said, you know, I'm a, I have a high school diploma and a beauty school certificate. And he's like,
0: don't tell anybody. <laughs> but it's, it's almost like you said, like you're, you're wired different. It's almost like you come in with, with these talents, um, and it's it's like it reminds me of this. I'll read you this expression you got from this this one message. Hey Deb, from this side you look like a bright bubble of light just floating through your daily life out there in our darkness. You are brighter than most. So it's this idea that you that you uh, you have these just you're you're able to tap in, you're able to pick up more, you're more sensitive, that sort of thing where Uh, everybody may not have the talent and that's why I say it's so important to talk to people like you that there are people almost like you can get these people who are salons like you know there's this one guy in New York City where they ask him what's two times three and he goes "Uh, I don't know Six? would that be seven and then he says what's five times seven Uh, would that be 50 and then they say On the with or April eleventh in the year one, what day would that be? Because oh, that's a Tuesday, and you'd be right one hundred percent of the time. It's sort of like (laughs) you're in the field, you're picking it up, and it's like you're brighter than most in terms of you're you're just more sensitive that you've you've tapped into this this thing, and that's why I think it's so important for people to to listen to you, and even with the reports because you a a lot people most people on this show would know. That, that reports happen around people who are experiencers. It happens around ghost experiences and stuff like that. But around you, it happens like it's, it's like uh, like times 10, you've got all sorts of stuff. So tell me the story about the, the one that the, the, the most impressive where again, we get this message about, um, there's more to the world than the physical world. The message they are trying to get across is that there's this other aspect and there's life after death. Tell me the story about your mother sends, sends you a message.
1: Well, my, when my mom died, uh, my mom had lung cancer and, uh, we, we knew it was coming. Everybody knew it was coming. It was close. And I was going down there at that point, she was in the hospital. And, um, when I, I visited her the day before and I just knew it wouldn't be long. And so I went back the next day and I spent the night there and, uh, I spent the night with mom. And probably about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, I hear my dad walking down the hall uh, with my brother. And I'm like, oh, man, what are you doing here? And he goes, your mom was calling me. And I said, eh, no, she wasn't. I've been sitting here with her all night. And she hasn't picked up the phone. He goes, did I say she used the phone? <laughs> I said, no, OK, I got gotcha. you. So anyway, so then daddy ended up being there. And then the next morning, my sister, my older sister, Kathy, showed up and mom passed away at 1115 in the morning. So we were there. And um, it was a long day. This was down in Indy. And I live up 50 miles north in Kokomo. And um, so after mom passed away and I called my other brother and sister, we went across town to daddy's house to the family just gathered, you know. And I headed back to Kokomo late that night. It was the dark and I was exhausted and it was a long, sad drive. And I was crying the whole way home. And I got home and I was just, worn out. And my husband and I went to bed and I suppose it was around one 30 or so in the morning. I can't remember exactly, but we were both woke up by this crashing sound in the, in the up We, our bedroom was upstairs and it was in the, the landing area, you know, upstairs and down the, the stairwell. And I'm like, what the hell? And we both just literally fell out of bed, ran out to see what was going on. And I looked down the bottom of the stairs and there was a picture of my mom at the bottom of the stairs sitting straight up. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's mom. And my husband's like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, look, he went down and got the, the photo frame. And it was just one of those cheap ones with the cardboard in the back. So I I expected to see the cardboard ripped, you know, like uh, it was just broke. Well, it wasn't. The cardboard was intact and the nail was still in the wall solidly because it was old <laughs> old plaster walls. And I'm like, uh, okay. And then it dawned on me, that's mom, that's mom. Because mom and I talked about death before she died. And she, she was raised, she was raised in a Pentecostal, uh, church, you know, as a child. And she's like, what if, what if, what if we, you know, just die and we're nothing? And I go, mom, you know, that's not true. And and she goes, yeah, no, but what if we, and I said, well, if it is true, then what do you care? You're not going to know. So whoop, big deal. No, you know, what's the big deal. So, um, I said, I always said to her, if you can, will you show me that I'm right, that that there's something else? And she goes, yeah, you know, she said she would, we talked about it. So, uh, I got all excited. I'm like, that's mom. She said she would. And she did, she did. And I was, my, my sadness went away. Uh, I did the heaviness left me. My heart felt light. I was excited. And we ran downstairs and I sat on the couch while my husband went to the back kitchen to get something to drink. And my little dog was at my foot. And I had these two little angel, uh, figurines that like sit on the edge of things. And I had them on the edge of the stairs that go up the first little set of steps before the landing where mom's picture was. And then it turned into the longer steps, yeah. but this, the, the, one of the angels, my dog was like shaking and panting and, and, uh, I was like, what's wrong cookie. And just as I looked down at her, the bottom angel literally leapt off of the steps and rolled across the floor and stopped at my foot. And I'm like, it is mom. It is mom, mom. You know, I was just so excited, you know? And so I told my brother and sister about it the next day and they're like, well, she didn't come to me. And I'm like, did you ask her? Well, no, I said, and if she had would have scared the crap out of you and you had a heart attack. Probably. And I'm like, well, then there's your answer. I said, I asked her to. And when she did it, I was elated. I wasn't scared. I was thrilled that she was there. You know, I I knew it. I knew that was her. And then when my husband died, you know, I told you I watched him commit suicide. Several things happened uh, within days after his his dying that not only affected me, but other people around us had signed, even so far down to Florida. The woman called me like the day after he passed away and she's like, you know, I don't know why, but I'm just, I I thought like Kayo was in my room playing with my dogs out in my utility room. And I, I could almost hear him say, and be sure and tell her how much I love her. Cause you know how much I loved her. And I said, oh my God, Vicki, he passed away yesterday and I just have not called you yet. Wow. Yeah. So I'm telling you, yeah, that I've been so blessed with things like that. You know, my brother and sister still were mad at me because she didn't come to them. And I said, you didn't ask her. And she was your mother. She wouldn't have done anything to scare you. She knew you'd have a flipping stroke if something like that happened. You know, but anyway. Yeah.
0: A couple quick questions and then we'll go to the, we'll end with the um, EVPs that a lot, maybe we can, I'm I'm planning to do an EVP panel because a lot of experiencers get into evps and paranormal stuff so i was thinking maybe you could join us for a panel sometime to, to talk oh, yeah about that'd EVPs. be fun um but I, I wanted to ask a couple of things the the one I, I look at a lot of these aspects as to what's really going on and there's these different patterns and the one pattern that you i think sort of supported was the fact that a lot of experiencers deal with a lot of different aliens but there's one that they actually deal with that explains things to them that comforts them, was that the case with you that you had one particular being that that sort of communicated with you well the, there was all, you know
1: in every contact that i recalled i there was it was always the same guy i- I felt like it was i mean you couldn't tell the difference by looking at him, but for some reason i felt he felt differently and i he felt familiar you know um in in several of those things, and I've only just i remember the gray guys like them, yeah. and then um human looking people and that's there were a couple like there was the one time when the i called it the the rubber band man who was yeah. crazy looking with the teeth and all yeah. i don't even know what that was and um the old woman i remember her looking at me she kind of looked like a gray one only kind of maybe more human a little but she looked really old and sad but mostly it's always the gray ones and i've never had um i've never had any experience with any mantis type or any uh, reptilian type and, and never but so i can only speak for what you know i recall but i i i believe there's gobs of different kinds of life out there of all different kinds
0: yeah. But the, the, the idea that I was thinking is like, it's almost like you have the be the guy standing on top of the hill, the guy that sends you on your way in the, the big building. And then you have this one person, it's almost, it almost looks like a, a spirit guide thing where you, you take a closer look. Who is this really? Because, you know, it's not actually going to be a being. It's going to be a ball of light, the same as you and I are a ball of light and you're screen imaging as some sort of figure or whatever, even, I don't know if you've seen the, the tape with um, with Bud and, Um, um, and Mac, they're in Boston, where uh, John Mac says to me, he says, bud, you know, it's kind of weird, he says, you know, I'm I'm the psychiatrist here, you you know, and uh, he says, "Um, you think I'd be getting all the bad ones, he said, I'm getting all the spiritual seeking ones, and you're getting all the bad ones, and maybe that has more to do with you and I, this sort of idea that Mac had at the end of his life, that the being that you see, you know, is screen imaging based upon your uh fear or your your state of affairs or whatever and and this idea that bud was getting all one type and mac was getting another type and it, it may you know maybe something completely different than what we think is going on
1: and then funny that i turned out to be <laughs> the, the mac type even <laughs> though i was with bud
0: uh, <laughs> well th- yeah there was a few that that sort of uh there was even, I had one with, uh, with Jacobs and people always think that everybody agreed. And I remember she was a, I met her in, in Tucson and she was a, a, a chaplain in a hospice. And I found out she was in Jacobs book. And I said, you were in his book. And then I said, but you know, he's, he's a, you know, he's uh, you know, secular or whatever and, and stuff. She so he says, look, but to make it this straight, just because I was in his book doesn't mean I agree with him. I mean, he had his belief about life after death or no life after death, whatever. He doesn't speak for me. And that, that was the sort of idea that we sort of lump all the people in that everybody was the same under these things. And there was people that, you know, had these especially people who grew and um, developed the understanding that it was not what we saw at first when you first see it. Yeah, it looks very fearful. But you have the you have the free survey where they ask the people, you know, if you had a chance to stop this, would you stop it? And eighty three percent of people say no, keep it going. And you well, idea- you know, I,
1: Bud's theories are Bud's theories, and I I have developed my own theories yeah. over time in my age, you know, but uh, and and I'm quite sure, like Bud wrote the foreword to uh, Abducted, and I'm quite sure that some of the stuff that he read in there probably made him cringe, <clears throat> but he was gracious and uh, kind to me and he understood that i was on my journey and it was different than his you know uh but he and he was always supportive to the very end uh i loved him dearly but uh he he had a more uh negative feeling about uh the experiences than and i did in the beginning yeah. once i overcame that i mean Something was happening to me. Some, something was happening to me specifically. Um, and things were happening to me for a purpose uh, further down the road. And, you know, I didn't, I, I grew into it, I guess. Uh, Bud was in the, emerg- I always said he's in the emergency room of all of this phenomenon. He sees the people that were completely wrecked like me. Because I was completely wrecked once I, once I woke up and remembered it took me a long time to uh, assimilate everything and 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 get my feet, get my world, my earth feet, or whatever. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Uh, Everybody's so, playing playing their role. Everybody's at their level. It's sort of like yeah. we always we always want to try to convince people. Uh, and and I always talk about like Stanton Friedman. I did his you know went to see his files. And Stanton went for sixty one years and he argued with Class and all the all these other clowns. And when I, when I I got a realization when I got there that he never convinced any of them of anything. It's sort of like everybody's playing their role in it and and that it's almost like they said, you know, science and ufology advance one funeral at a time. It's the young people will pick it up and it's not so threatening to them. And the old people die off and, the, and, and it just gradually moves along. It's not like you and I are going to suddenly uh, say something and everybody's going to throw up the white flag and everybody's going to agree and, and go along with it.
1: No, I feel like... I, you know, I speak out publicly because I feel like there's one person out there that needs to hear something that I'm saying. I don't know if it's a word or a phrase or something. And then when they do, then I did what I came here to do. And that was, you know, to help trigger them to start their journey, you know?
0: Exactly. I I firmly agree. That's, That's what you're doing. And that's what I'm doing. And I think you're doing a wonderful job. Let's go to EVP time. Let's end it with this. Uh, you got into evps and you have one that 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 started you tell that little story and then we'll go to the couple i i took about three of the ones that you sent me and we'll play those but tell me the one that that got you going with your was it your nephew was with you it was
1: yeah it was my nephew and it was many 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 years ago i don't know what the attraction of evps was but uh we i decided to give it a try after reading something about it and uh the uh so I had a 30 minute on each side cassette and cassette tape player and Billy and I just sat there in my kitchen in the quiet. And that's not easy. (laughs) But, um, when we went to play it back, there was a very clear voice on it as if this man was in the house with us. And it was an old man. And he said, are the spirits listening? And right behind him immediately afterwards was another voice of a younger person, almost like a little girl saying, can I listen too?" and, um, it was that moment that I had that epiphany. I'm like, oh my God, we're the spirit somewhere else, and somebody's sure. trying to hear us, you know? And uh, then on the other side, there was a voice that sounded like my Billy said, Aunt Debbie, that sounds just like you. And the voice said, in anakma." And I thought, and it was like real happy and sing songy the way she said it. And I thought, what the hell is that? And, and my nephew's like, that sounds like you. And then we let played it for my mom. And she's like, it does sound like you. And I'm like, what does that mean? So for years and years and years, I've tried to figure out what that was, if it was a word or a phrase or something. And wow. <laughs> I ain't come up with nothing.
0: Okay, we're going to go. The first one we do is the one I like the best. Yeah, tell story, the story. Because this backstory is people have to understand what's actually going on to understand the importance of this.
1: Well, I was a I was a member of a of a, a uh paranormal research group here at this time when this was done and i actually have the video of uh the of the camera you can see the dog walking past the table where the recorder was um uh, the uh family that we were doing the investigation for had complained that there was a little girl that would run up and down the hall at night and wake everybody up and they didn't have any little girls in the family and it was a new house it was a new build so it wasn't like an old haunted house or anything uh and they uh they left the house. There was nobody there except for us researchers and the dog. And um, we had set up our base station out in the garage and uh, the dog would just roam around and we'd see it occasionally on the cameras. But uh, as it walked, as the dog walked past the uh, table where the recorder was that recorded this, this voice is so vividly clear. It says, hi, Ginger. And it sounds like there's a little girl in the room talking to the dog, and the dog's name was Ginger. That's what really flipped everybody out. Holy cow! The dog's name is Ginger.
0: Okay, let's play it and see if it comes through clearly. Can you hear that well? Yeah.
1: Hi, Ginger.
0: Hey, just one more time. I love it. Okay. So, so this one, what's the story on this one?
1: Um, this is just a, a, I can't even remember which kind of, uh, we were just on, we were at a home doing a uh, private investigation and uh, <laughs> we recorded this say so dib what's up and then you can hear my buddy my my co-host when i did my podcast and uh, my cohort in uh, re- uh, investigations he said so what's crack lacking <laughs> cuz that's what he says in response to that so dib what's up
0: <laughs> okay let's play this what's crack lacking Let's crack a lacking. You could hear this one. Let's crack a lacking. Could could you hear that? Could he hear it? The the voice? Yeah, he could hear it. (laughs) This this is so wild. Okay, Mm -hmm. here it. Just Tell this story.
1: Okay. We were at the uh, a, a, uh, Asher Walton house in Atlanta, Indiana, doing a an investigation. And uh, there was uh, had been reports of little kids, little girls and little boys there playing with the ball. The investigators that stayed at the house there all the time, they put balls out and they their video, the house was wired with video and they'd video record. They'd have the balls rolling up down the hall at night and stuff. And uh, some, I think somebody asked if there was a little girl here, and it says I got the pink shirt.
0: <laughs> okay, here we go. Are you a big male. Oh shit. shit. Are you a female? Are you a Big, big male. Oh shit. shit. Are you a female? One more time. Are you a big female? Female? Ooh, shit. Are you a female? I got a pink shirt. Yeah, so they're asking, are, you, are a you a female? shit! Yeah. Are you wow. this one?
1: Oh, uh, this was a um a private investigation again in a house that was empty. The family was getting ready to move. They built their own new house, but this family—the house had been in the family for years and years—and several older members had passed away in there. And this voice, they ID'd this voice as one of the older members of the family that had passed away when the people, when we played it back for them. We asked them, did she have a doctor named Dr. Hubert? And they're like, no, we're not sure she had so many doctors. We don't know who, how many, you know, what they were called.
0: Okay, hang on, here we go. You know, Dr. Hubert. You know, Dr. Hubert would would you get would you get an EVP every time you went out or every investigation
1: um i got i got some almost every time I, oh yeah that's the other thing it was,
0: you're you're like the light you're the the lightning <laughs> rod
1: they used to call me the antenna <laughs> <laughs> they'd always say make sure debs here where's your okay. her stuff uh i would usually get s- at least one or two two really good ones like that there might have been one a couple of investigations where i didn't get what i you know something that was that good but there were things there were a couple investigate there was one investigation where it almost sounded it, it the that was very faint and it was repetitive like it was almost like a signal that was being put out and uh it would repeat two or three times the same phrase and you could hear it but it sounded very 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 far away and it was those were odd i had two or three like that but they were you you probably couldn't hear them on here you'd have to have them you know with the headset on
0: yeah okay and the last one i think here and (laughs) that for people who may not think that um people on the other side aren't interested in sports tell this one who, who, who
1: yeah this, this we were at the the crump theater in uh columbus indiana and we were down in the basement um where the dressing rooms were and there were i think four of us down there and one of the guys that was with us had on a sports jersey with the number 16 on it and i think it was green i think we got an avp later that said something about the green shirt or something but uh we as we were walking through the basement dressing areas we this is what we got, and it was f- funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: so they're they're commenting on his shirt, maybe. Right? And
1: and there was nobody with us that sounded like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's just amazing.
1: It is amazing. And see, I I had a rule when we did EVP work. Nobody whisper. If you want to say something, speak loudly because I might not recognize your whisper, you know, a week from now after listening to 12 hours of data you know raw audio so nobody whispered and nobody was making any we weren't talking as we walked through we walked through in the quiet and that that voice was nobody that was with us that night
0: wow and and you as you mentioned maybe you mentioned or didn't mention uh it was usually like the the ginger one you had you had a A microphone on the camera but it didn't pick up anything it was you it would usually be your uh cassette recorder that would pick up the evp if it was like a good one like the ginger one
1: yeah uh the the audio recording on the video camera it didn't come through but you could see we could sync. we synced up the recording from my recorder with the video so you could see you know the time date stamps on them so we knew that that was when the dog walked by um yeah wow. some there are now i mean other people caught some stuff too but it always seemed like mine was clearer. now i had a good recorder i have i use an h1 stereo recorder that has two mics that crisscross, and it is sensitive you can hear somebody snore in two bedrooms away uh but wow
0: but you, you don't you really don't do the evp stuff that much anymore
1: well, I haven't done. No, I, I left that paranormal group. And then I started my own for a while. And then my buddy that I used to do it with moved away. And so I really yeah. haven't had an opportunity to do it very much. I'd like to get out and do some more of it. But COVID kind of threw a monkey wrench in yeah. the plan. So in
0: everybody, yeah.
1: now that I'm retired, I have time to do stuff like this. But no, right when I retired, COVID hit. So
0: so what, what, to, to sort of to shut down, I, I can basically say to you, uh, your interview is as good as I thought it would be, um, and you've made it across the through the wind and rain uh, to the hill over my questions and stuff, and you're now at the top of the hill, and I'll say exactly what the, the guy says to you at the end, uh, okay, you did a wonderful job, it's time to go home, uh, perhaps you'll have a dream tonight and uh, get a, an impression of where we go next. What are you planning to do? You've you've written Extraordinary Contact, which I think people absolutely have to read because you have more material. Uh, it's the old deal, like experiences are the ones to listen to. And then there are certain experiencers who are like bright lights that that have, have a lot of contact and a lot of messages. So I think people should read uh, your, your new book. And what are you planning to do in, in, in the upcoming future?
1: Well, I'm hoping that COVID will... Uh recede enough that, um, I can do some traveling cause I'd like to, you know, go to some conferences and I like, I don't mind speaking in public anymore. Like I used to get real nervous about it. I do a little get nervous, but my best part is afterwards when I meet people, that's where I want to go. So I can meet people because I want to meet more people. I'll keep working on my website, probably going to work on that next book about the bus trip. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just wherever the universe wants me to be, that's where I'll go. I I just do what it asked me to do.
0: Yeah, the, the the bus trip one, I think there's a story in there. It may be hidden, but there's there there's something in there. So I, I really appreciate your taking the time. One maybe one last question. Have you have you had a lot of people where would people contact you? Because I assume you've talked a lot of people off the cliff in terms of people who are where you were in 1983 when you went to see Bud. Uh if, if you have experiencers, there'll be some people here um, who are still in the dark. I actually started a group here in Winnipeg called Experiences Anonymous, where uh, it was built on AA, where people could come to a meeting. Nobody was allowed to ask anybody what they were doing there or what your experience is or whatever, to allow people to sit in a room and sit there for two years if they wanted and never say anything until someone actually said something that would trigger them and say, yeah, OK, I'm going to tell my story now. I'm ready to talk have you had people come to you and how would they contact you if they have say they're where you were in 1983 and they want help from you
1: um they can reach me on my website there's a place there where you can email me and so um just come to my website and you know you can read whatever stuff I have up there uh and uh you can send me an email and I'm I don't have a lot of answers sometimes, but I'm a really good listener. And, um, it's a safe place where you can come and share. And I don't, nothing is, I don't put anything on my website from other people. It's just between me and you, but yeah, so they can reach me at my website. It's www.debshome.com. And I'm also on Facebook, but I don't get on there a whole lot, you know? Um, and it's, uh, On Facebook, I'm Deb White Cobble. White is my maiden name. I put that on there so all my old school chums could find me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, Maybe uh, um, I don't do much traveling because I I have a hard time from Homeland Security for stealing American jobs. So I don't really lecture, but I may be at Ozark. So maybe we can get you at Ozark because that's probably fairly close to you there's a lot of people come down there and i think you did speak at ozark one time
1: i've been I there a couple times that was the very first place that i ever spoke publicly that my whole family went down and listened which was yeah. nice and i so i have good memories from there that place is wonderful i love the vibe there i feel
0: yeah. uh
1: comfortable there
0: yeah so and, and that's that's a lot of people for some place out in the middle of nowhere yes it is they come from that, that area of the country so hopefully we'll see you on the road somewhere
1: oh that'd and, be great uh,
0: when, when you figure out something, uh, let me know what your messages are because I listen extremely careful to everything you say because I, I, as, I, as I said at the beginning, there are certain people that we need to listen to. We don't need to listen to the government. I don't think they have a clue. There may be one or two people who know what's going on, but it's the experiencers and it is us. We are the ones we've been waiting for. So thank you for uh, allowing me to interview you, to ask these questions. And thank you for, for the material you put out. It was a, it was a tough road, uh, but I think a lot of people have been helped by you and you've done for others what Bud did for you. And that's what we've got to do. The people who have the answers uh, have to start speaking out and eventually uh, the people who need to listen will hear and uh, we will move towards whatever it is they want us to to move towards. And thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Thanks for allowing me to be here tonight. I appreciate it.
0: That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.